0: Hey guys, what's up? It is week 243. Is it 243? I think it is. Anyways, Happy New Year. See, last week I recorded this on Christmas. This week I'm recording it on New Year's Day. I am neglecting my family, neglecting my friends. Um, Who am I kidding? I don't have any of that. I just have movies. So, let's hop into this. The first one up is from Full Moon Entertainment, and that is Evil Bonk. Believe it or not, I never watched Evil Bong. I did watch Ginger Dead Man for 2005, and I hated it. I was a big fan of uh, Full Moon growing up, like any kid that frequented video stores. And, uh, you know, anything before 2000, even when he was doing his Empire and Wizard stuff, all that stuff I was always a big fan of. I, I grew up watching the Puppet Master movies, okay? I was obsessed with them. But after a certain point, I kind of, I maybe it was just getting older, I, I lost our maybe filmmaking techniques or quality in Full Moon dipped. but I, I stopped watching. Pretty much around the 2000 area, the last couple I would watch were like Head of the Family and Hideous and stuff like that, which I enjoyed. But, yeah, Shrieker, I think, was kind of like the when I started being like in Retro Puppet Master. And I was like, I don't I don't know about this stuff anymore. But, uh, so, yeah, Evil Ball. So, this just uh, hit Blu-ray. I think it was out a while, but I'm getting around to it now. So, Yeah, uh, they put Tommy Chong right on the cover from Cheech and Chong. That was a good get for Full Moon. You know how Full Moon is. They always uh, Sometimes in their bigger pictures, uh, they try to incorporate some cameos or some name recognition. Think Ginger Dead Man with Gary Busey. So anyways, what happens is we have this kind of nerdy, stereotypical character. All these characters in this movie are are like one-dimensional, and it's part of the joke or the supposed humor in the film. And uh, they're in college. This nerdy guy shows up, and he's offered a, a room for rent. For $40 a week. He takes it. He meets his three roommates. Uh, All of them smoke a lot of marijuana. Uh, One is like a jock. One is the guy who got in the room. Who's a complete like rich kid burnout. And then there's the like kind of complete stoner complete stoner. I guess there's more than one burnout, but one is extremely burnout. One's kind of like an ex-athlete who got kicked off the team for being on, uh, for popping, for marijuana. So anyways, one day they uh, uh, order this special bong in High Times Magazine, and what shows up is this elaborate giant bong, and everybody who smokes from it goes into this like kind of magical, crazy world with a bunch of strippers, and they're kind of seduced by, you know, the drugs, if that's what it's supposed to be some sort of metaphor or something like that. And uh, their strippers kind of like uh, seduce him and whatnot, and every every life or soul it takes. Think Freddy Krueger, Dream World, whatever the hell you want to compare it to. Every soul or dream or whatever it takes, uh, the Bong becomes more real, more animated, more comical, more dropping more one-liners and everything like that. Until eventually, the main nerd has to face off against the evil Bong in his own realm. Uh, there's some cameos in here by humans and creatures from the Full Moon universe. So we have Phil Fondacaro, Bill Mosley, Tim Tompkins as Jack. Death um, from the Trancers films, but then we also have the Ginger Dead Man, that's right, not voiced by Gary Busey, I'd imagine, and uh, they also have the Killer Clown from Demonic Toys, Um, and not the good model that we saw in the 90s, and the sequel, Dollman vs. Demonic Toys, but I think like the cheap one that probably popped up in Puppet Master vs. Demonic Toys or Demonic Toys 2, that cheap kind of model or whatever. So there's some little cameos at that. There's a decent amount of nudity, of course. Um, The jokes are really uh, lowbrow and goofy. Um, There is some special effects, some gore here and there. Um, You know, people getting their hand bit off by a a breast that turns to a shark mouth. It doesn't, there's no logic in marijuana world. Uh, It's kind of like, you know, the science of Freddy Krueger. When you try to start figuring out dream logic or what the rules are, you're like, who gives a shit, man? I don't fucking know. And, and the plus, it's a full moon, and it's really cheap on top of that, so you have to it to Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm not, of course, in quality, but still. Um, it's kind of just put it on, have some friends over, and enjoy yourself to a certain extent. Um, now, I can't give this a, whole, a wholehearted recommend or anything, and I should mention that Chong does have a fun little role in here, and he kind of faces off against the evil Bong. A little bit more than an extended cameo, but kind of dug that. Anyways, if this sounds like it's up your alley, you want to see some low brow cheesy jokes i would say this is a group movie you put it on like a jack frost or something although i do think jack frost a little better a little better uh uh than this and you and you just kind of enjoy yourself and uh it's it's by yourself this isn't gonna win any you know any fans i don't think but hey you know it's a group fun kind of stupid completely shut off your brain movie and that is evil bomb Okay, so a couple weeks back, maybe even last week, I covered this movie from 1994 called Darkest Soul. Little did I know that I was going to be watching another movie by those filmmakers, and that kind of surprised me. I had heard of this one a bit from SRS down their SOV retro line, which I'm digging. Uh, they're really hit and miss, but a lot of times I just... I am a big fan of SOV movies, if you guys didn't know, from the uh, from the pre-2000s. I love them. Uh, to the late 80s when they started originating, every, whatever, in the 80s. But to the 90s, Stuff I dig too, and this one is a late 90s one um, called Snuff Kill, aka Screen uh, Snuff kill aka screen kill i believe is the AK name so this is by the same filmmakers that did darkest soul they also did scary uh is it tales or scary i can't remember which one is it called scary uh i'm double i'm looking at my ag collection because i don't want to make a mistake scary tales because they also released scary movie not to be confused with, but scary tales was their first anthology film so this one i believe would be their third um after darkest after scary tales darkest soul and then snuff kill and i believe they have a fourth one a vampire film made years down the line. Um, so, Snuff Kill. Uh, I saw the trailer for this in the opening of Darkest Soul, and I had no idea it was actually this movie, so when I put this in, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, oh, it's an AK name. So, what we have here is, um, you know, uh, people that decide to make snuff films. Uh, it's not in the line of something like Glass House on Dead End Street, which is a little bit more darker, a little bit more serious, but this one does have some questions brought up about people being infatuated with horror films and being, you know, uh, kind of seduced by violence or whatever you want to call So what we have here is a film-obsessed whore nerd um, who all he wants to do is watch horror movies, you know, yada yada yada. A a person after my own heart, you would say. Um, He ends up meeting, uh, going to this band show that his uh, girlfriend drags him to and the lead singer is into like the kind of kiss you know, Alice Cooper theatrics of killing people on stage. He's good at special effects and uh, he stays after and he starts talking to the guy and they have some interest and they realize that he went to high school together. So um, they basically form a friendship and before long they decide to to make a movie. With his special effects knowledge and his filmmaking knowledge, they start working together. Um, pretty soon um, the the music guy he, uh, you know, the fake kills aren't enough and he starts to kill people and wants to make a snuff film and he uh, explains it to him kind of like the way that they explain uh, uh, murder and bloodletting Matthew Jason Walsh, James L. Edwards explains that, like, masturbation, it's something I enjoy doing, but I try not to do it too much. He kind of has his own little rundown of that, saying they tell you not to masturbate, um, because it's not morally appropriate, but it feels good, and so does killing. And he kind of goes through that deal. Anyways, he has an idea to insert the kills into like a slasher film or something like that, and so they start uh, massacring and murdering a bunch of people. And actually, there is some kind of like uh, poignant stuff because they like, have a lot of young actresses show up and other people and some some guys as well. Um, it's always the same. It's like always beautiful young actresses in indie movies and then just like Average Joes. Uh, think me, it popping up in an indie movie. You know, Average Joes. That's always it's like the director's buddies or whoever will do it. Uh, you, you never have trouble finding guys to be in your movies, right? But that's just kind of the way it is. Um, so. What happens is he starts to starts to kill them. And actually, the first murder that happens, um, the the director doesn't know what's going to happen. And it's kind of like done in a shocking way, a, a unique way. Um, not a unique way. I would say an effective way um, where he slits the person's throat. And of course, she's a bad actress at first. But when that knife goes across her throat and she's like, she realizes it. You know, you can tell that she's actually pretty solid at acting at that point. Um, And it actually, it's, it's a really good special effect. The knife, knife slit. And I was, I was, I was like, oh, the first murder, I was like, we're in for something special because these effects are are way above what I ever expected. So of course they, Murder dozens and dozens of people, um, and the director is infatuated, like with watching the murders over and over again. Think Henry, what are you doing? I want to watch it again. What Otis says. So we have like kind of him being obsessed with the snuff and all that kind of stuff, and uh, of course the the musician is getting way out of hand. He starts to kill people he knows and the kills are getting more elaborate including a chainsaw and explosives and the effects are really solid. There's a castration in here and that whole scene was really bothersome because the guy seems kind of natural at points, but then you know, the acting ranges here, but at first he feels very natural. He's like, what am I going to do? How am I going to die? And it's just like, I literally could see see myself or people I know getting stuck in a situation, showed up to be in a low budget horror film and getting massacred for real on screen. But uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this one. It it's fast-paced. It never slows down. There's lots of good kills. Um, yeah, this is a good SOV. And this is one of those kind of, like, SOV movies that I had not heard many people talk about. I knew that it had fans. I knew that when SRS said they were releasing a lot of people were like, I like that one. I remember Harry Collins, I think, mentioned, I love this movie. So, and, you know, he's like the Goremeister. If you guys know Harry Collins, he's a YouTuber. He does a bunch of reviews, makes his own short movies and stuff. Or And he just is... Um, He's like a gore hound, so I was like, oh yeah, so hey, I, I can see why he likes this one. I enjoyed it quite a bit too. Good low budget special effects. I'll listen to the commentary; you can hear the the director. Um, there's actually two directors. The musician who stars in this is also a director. He also starred in *Darkest Souls*, and the other the the, the, the Doug um, Ulrich, I think, who doesn't star in the movie he has a small role, of course, and you gotta have be some murder victim in your own movie, right? So he, he kind of talks over the commentary, and the way he mentions like the screwdriver in the ear he picked up from *Dawn of the Dead*, which is very common effect and you can just tell that he knows his shit about special effects and horror films and all that kind of stuff and this is a very enjoyable um sov movie i would recommend checking it out if you like gore films if you like sov movies if you like snuff movies i know there's a lot of fans of last house on dead end street and a lot of other ones out there Muzani is another one kind of a snuff film i think is it is it portrayed as one and and all that kind of stuff celluloid tears um yeah the the sato movie so it, i mean i don't think it's up to the level of celluloid tears or um last house on dead end street as far as you know um infamy or um you know iconic status i would say to a certain extent but it's a really enjoyable one and uh yeah i'm definitely gonna watch scary tales when i get a chance i haven't watched that one of course there's footage from scary tales in here on the television you see all the directors other posters on the walls and shit like that that's just a comment but anyways enjoyable acting ranges um but uh, some's pretty good um uh, some people choose scenery that's okay i enjoyed the whole thing check it out SRS uh, nailed this one out of the park on their retro line here. I love the retro SOB stuff. Like I said, I love that early nineties and even nineties stuff. Um, I'm a big fan of Tempe and Eric Stanzi and uh shattered dead, all that shit. So yeah check this one out good stuff okay the next one here is the first film i actually watched i watched it today the first film of the new year and i was thinking it's a bad way to start the fucking new year so it's another one of the retro lines so i wanted to dive in i had such a good time with snuff killer i was like let's do another one why not so i, I popped in the hidden this was originally made in 1993 it never got a release it's an australian sov so right there struck my curiosity I don't think I've ever seen an Australian SOV. There's a couple countries that I don't know. like I can't register if they have any SOVs or not. Like I'm like, does China or Hong Kong have SOVs? I've seen a lot of their cheap 90s stuff, but I don't remember any of it being SOV. So I know that North America, the whole continent has SOV. A lot of Europe, Germany, France, all those kind of places have them. Japan. But I was like, Australia? I've never seen an Australian SOV. And this immediately reminded me of uh, the SRS release, the RetroDine Garden Shed Masker. Garden Tool Mask, I can't remember its name. Garden Tool Shed Mask, or whatever the fuck it is. The UK SOV. There's a lot of similarities to that. And I wasn't necessarily a huge fan of that. And I'm not a huge fan of this one. It starts with the director's introduction. He basically mentions, a lot of people are said, does this thing even exist? Yada, yada. And it gets right into the movie. Um, it's about an hour and 18 minutes with introduction. And uh, the dialogue is hard to hear. Of course, SOV, it's really um, quiet in places, and that's just kind of expected on a lot of SOV, especially when they're the two types. You know, if you look at Snuff Killer, Screen Kill, it's, it's made by, you know, professional filmmakers, I would say, or 555, or stuff like that, or Redneck Zombies. They are shooting on SOV, but they're taking themselves very serious, no matter how what level of do-it-yourself or independent. They're all taking it very seriously. And I'm not saying that The Hidden's not taking itself very seriously, but these are very young filmmakers. You could tell most of them are probably, you know, 16 to 22 years old. Like, they're not very old. Um, so it it, it it lines up a lot with that Garden Shed Massacre where it's young kids making an SOV movie. And if you have a connection to it, you'll definitely f- find some endearment in endearing qualities about the film, but having not knowing anything about it or hearing anything about it for years is just really rough watch to be honest. So essentially the plot is a brother um, is trying to find uh, the person who murdered his brother. His brother died uh, after he was deep into drugs and it's kind of a mysterious murder. Nobody knows how he died. And uh, it turns out that there is some sort of creature that's been, has got addicted living in the viaducts or in the sewer system, addicted to the drugs that are being like, like, Sling around the area, so every time there's a drug deal, he comes out and he kills the people and takes the drugs. So that's a great concept, I love it. But if you're looking for, um, you know, a drug addicted monster that's on a rampage, watch Night Feeder, also released by SRS on the retro line, instead of this one. Um, but you might like this one. Like I said, I've never seen an Australian SOV, so there were some cool points there. They incorporated, you know, the beautiful ocean and things like that, and um. I like the idea that this monster is addicted to drugs and taking people out. But it's kind of like a revenge story to a certain extent. He doesn't really get that much revenge, but he's roughing people up, trying to figure out who knows what about all the stuff and and the murders and everything like that. But uh, it eventually leads to the very end. There's minimal monster coverage. He has a crazy kind of weird point of view, like, not infrared, but just kind of like psychedelic and different looking when he comes after people. No real gore to speak of, like I said. There's not much going on here, except uh a lot of like uh drama and line reading is a lot of people reading their lines, and I understand trying to get your friends to act in your movie when they just don't you're just like all right, fuck it, I'm gonna put the cue cards in front of you. You know, sometimes your friends aren't always the best actors, and that's something um, you could kind of see this happening in this one. But uh The Hidden, um, uh, I can't really recommend this one. If you're if you're an SOV enthusiast or you're a completist, check it out. Uh, imagine the price point's not too high, honestly. Um, uh, but I would stick with Knife Feeder or Snuff Kill if you're looking for an. SRS treat so um, yeah so yeah that is the hidden not a fan uh, not a good way to start the new year I can appreciate What they're, you know, this being out there and stuff like that. But it's one of those ones that uh, a lot of these movies getting put out. You're like, it's like their friend's movie and everything like that. They're they're the first movie as teenagers making it and something like that. And um, it's interesting if, you know, a lot of the people went on to create tons and tons of films and everything like that. It'd be very interesting to see like Del Toro's shorts as a kid or Sam Raimi's shorts as a kid. But when you're not really familiar with the filmmaker, it doesn't really have much, you know, use for me. But I do, I am interested in watching, you know, regional uh, low-budget films, even if I like them or don't, so yeah. Okay, this next one is definitely get the pervert card of the week, and this is from Pink Inga, and this is Anarchy in Japanti. Uh, This is directed by a guy who's very prolific, done tons of movies. I'm going to always mispronounce his name. A lot of these Japanese names I have trouble with. Uh, Takahisha Zizi, and uh, he's done a lot of films. I'm, I'm loving these Pink Inga releases. They're short. They're perverse, they're weird, and uh they're very enjoyable for me, I know, so uh yeah, this is a bizarre one. This is like part comedy, part family drama, part part panky film, of course, like kind of style, and everything like that. So what we have here is this movie takes place in like three is like three timeline jumps, you know, so we start off in nineteen eighty one with this uh, young woman being like raped and abused, and you you learn that she can no longer bear child. Um, She kind of wanders out um, into the woods, being very upset and everything, and she ends up kidnapping a young kid, about like two or maybe two, one one, one years old, one years old, one and a half, somewhere around there, Uh, kidnaps this kid, and then we fast forward eight years later, and we see her with this kid, um, grown up uh, about, you know, he's like eight years old or something like that along the lines, eight years later, duh, Dave. So, um, and then we kind of follow a little bit of this, this strange gentleman who's like a clerk, um, and his two friends. They're absolutely ridiculous. They're all kind of perverted. They're all very strange. They're in their like late 30s, early 40s. And they're just bonkers weirdo characters. And uh, so basically they run... They, well, if they, they drink a lot. They frequent brothels. Which one scene leads to a pretty comedic scene. And a sex scene uh, that is... Uh, <laughs> a bunch of sex scenes that some people would not want to watch. Including somebody's face being farted in. Uh, a diaper fetish shit. Uh, just... But it's all goofy and weird and also uh, disturbing at times later on, of course. But so um, this woman um, who's damaged uh, mentally, and this guy uh, who works in this carryout who is also kind of damaged, they start to form sort of a relationship. And, um, soon enough he figures out, uh, oh, where this kid has come from. He realizes through a newspaper clipping that she kept that this kid was kidnapped and, uh, he kind of keeps it quiet and uh, without spoiling too much, we, we figure out to the next last timeline. Um, I think, what is it? 10 years down the line. So now our, our, uh, young kids all grown up and he's a troublemaker and, uh, his two friends are, you know, losers still hanging out. And all three of them are still hanging around the situation. So what happens is, um, the young man decides to do something pretty drastic after he figures out about his past, and it gets really ridiculous setting these circumstances up that only a crazy Japanese film would even have. But uh, yeah, I thought this was a pretty entertaining film. Um, It's funny, it's uh, disgusting, it's sad it's kind of deep in a, in a lot of ways and depressing um, but it's also uh, really disgusting like I said too. So it's got all those kind of qualities in there. It reminded me uh, something along the lines of a, a softer definitely a softer visitor cube at Takashi Mike. It's not as extreme as that one <laughs> um, or as disgu- as disturbing. No you know, breast milk or, or necrophilia with shit. But there is shit in the diaper. So I mean it's on the same line of disgust factor just not quite as extreme. Anyways I thought this one was entertaining uh, funny yet gross and my sense of humor is really warped um, highly sexual too, a lot of sex stuff and um, just about two broken characters and what happens to them and their family they're kind of fucked up family drama here so yeah anarchy in Japante. Okay, this next one here is from Dark Side Releasing, and this is um, a Chris Alexander joint. You know, Chris Alexander used to work for Fangoria, I think he was an editor, and he released a bunch of movies. I saw a couple of them, uh, what Queen of Blood, Blood for Arena, Arena, I think it is, and what else did he have? He had a couple other ones, female werewolf. I'd seen a couple of his films, so I knew kind of what I was getting into when it came to his movies. His movies are very heavily inspired by bigger budgeted Jess Franco and John Roland movies, you know, that kind of that uh you know, those Euro. Horror films where it's more about the art and the cinematography than uh, you know coherent story. So this one is kind of like if uh, John Roland uh, made a really low budget movie in modern day, um, but he based it on something like you know Under the Skin. Although John Roland's movies are, are very similar to this and Under the Skin in a lot of ways, you know beautiful cinematography, uh, gorgeous woman, uh, unique look about her, unique kind of intrigue about her, just kind of walking around. Then, you know, committing murders or whatever the title gives it away. You know, she's a space vampire. We see her walk at the very beginning of the movie from a far away in a field um, coming into the camera, and at the very end, we see her go the same way. But in between that, we see her kind of exploits of you know, her kind of just staring off in the distance and we zooming up on her lips and going into some trippy, hallucinatory kind of you know, kind of crazy colored uh, you know, blood frenzy, which is what I think is happening every time she feeds she kind of goes into this drug state of you know, you know, a a frenzy or something and she kind of zones out and everything like that. Um, There is kind of a little thing at the very ending where you kind of it's kind of a stinger, kind of a twist or whatnot but um, it's hard to talk about this film to be brutally honest because there's not much there as far as a story and uh, it's all about, you know, the kind of crazy you know, just journey of uh, a space vampire walking around and feeding on people. It's not overly graphic. It's not uh, something where it's a super graphic film it's a you know kind of a a lesbian style space vampire you know kind of like just looking at someone and then they'll have maybe like a a very glimpse scene together and then before you know it she has blood on her lips and wiping it's not a gore fest you know i mean john roland i believe didn't like gore himself so um saying that though um chris alexander is held back because he doesn't have you know the uh filming prowess as somebody like john roland like if you watch something like um Grapes of Death, uh, the far away, is it Grapes of Death? I believe it is with the far zoom. And you're like, why is John Roland doing this? You're like, because it's fucking beautiful and he has the means to do it. So why not have a brilliant wide shot of somebody walking for five minutes? Because it looks fucking good. It's film. It's great. It's widescreen. It's beautiful. You know, um, it's framed right. Um, this one, it has those kind of it wants to be that. But it doesn't have the budget to be it. Although you don't need a masterful budget nowadays. Uh, a huge budget to be masterful. at That kind of thing. It just doesn't have the same impact I will say. As something like a John Roland movie. It's like uh, I imagine. I know John Roland made movies later on in his career. And I'm pretty sure some of them were dirt cheap digital. Maybe even SOV. I know Jess Franco ended up making a lot of SOV movies. Like Vampire Junction. And that kind of shit. And um, I will say that Chris Alexander is better than <laughs> Jess Franco's SOV movies in his later day um I, I i will say that because this is not um insulting to watch or anything like that i mean it's just very short very to the point um there is no point, I guess. Uh, it's just kind of watching some crazy, trippy, somewhat beautiful imagery and whatnot. So that's kind of what you're looking at. Uh, and, and I would um, give it a recommend if you like that sort of thing, if you hate that sort of thing. People would say, well, this is too avant-garde or, or pretentious or just too cheap to be good for what it is. So uh, that's Space Vampire. It might be some interest to you. There's a commentary by the director. and There's another short film, which is of the same beautiful woman walking around uh, some beautiful woods in black and white with some, you know, uh, foreboding music in the background. So, you know, it is what it is. Uh, you know if it's for you or not just by hearing the description and maybe popping in the trailer and everything like that. So that's Space Vampire. Okay, this next one was put out by one of the partner labels from Vinegar Syndrome. I don't remember the actual partner label name. It's like Tech or something like that. DecaTech. And this is The Tension, which technically is a 2021 release, 2021 release for the United States. It was made in 2019. It's a Taiwan film. Uh, uh, so... And it didn't get a release uh, in the states until now. So I, I checked this one out. I, I'm digging the, the bunch of partner label stuff that Vinegar Syndrome's been putting out. They just picked up Culture Shock and another Canadian a Canadian label. And so I'm very excited about you know Vinegar Syndrome kind of broadening horizons, kind of just releasing a lot of stuff and having these partner labels. It's a very interesting time to be a film collector. So this one, yeah, I was kind of excited to check this one out. I'd heard good things about it. And uh, yeah, this takes place in the 60s during, you know, the, um, you know, America had the McCarthyism, like, in the 50s and whatnot, and I think it probably carried over in the 60s. The big anti-communism movements and everything like that was happening all around the world. Where, so in Taiwan, essentially, um, any communist literature was banned, and it, you could be punished, um, you know, you could be put to death capital punishment for so we have here is um, a school, and I can't remember exactly what kind of school it is. It looks like there's some sort of military activity for sure, maybe, but there's young, there's women and men here. But uh, it seems like the men are more, um, maybe it's just a, yeah, it's got to be a co- because there's a lot of different things, male and female. But the, it seems more like a military kind of style school approach. So what, what we see is there is a small like kind of book club. That um, is is into the communist ma- reading material, just you know, and a lot of it, you know, it, it it's like misconstrued as certain things. Any literature, you know what I mean? Just because someone's reading something doesn't even necessarily mean that they're out there to try to overthrow the government or anything like that. You just broaden their horizons or see a different outlook or see a different look, you know, whatever. It is what it is. You shouldn't ban books or movies or anything, even if you don't politically agree with them, or you could say they're dangerous. I mean, it's all horseshit. So so uh, regardless of where you stand or what you believe, um, but it's definitely a true thing that happens. So anyways, uh, it, it, there's it, it, this is a strange kind of ghost haunting story. I don't want to say ghost, but it follows the kind of same ghost kind of protocol or whatever. So uh, they have a book club and there's a couple teachers that run the whole thing and. Um, and one of the uh, young girls that's kind of involved in the story's father is uh, somebody of importance in the military. Um, she know the father knows directly who you know the guy who runs the school, the military guy in the school. And there's obviously a, a kind of a, a a big kind of headbutting with the teachers and the military kind of stuff. So a couple of the teachers actually involved with the book club who get the kids' books and they pass them around. So it turns out that someone has snitched on the group, and a lot of them are put in like a prison and they're being tortured. And then we kind of like go into this strange like I don't want to say parallel thing but essentially um, to the young woman and one of the young men end up in the school like after hours and there's these strange kind of like creatures and happenings happening chasing them and everything like that. And it's uh, pretty creepy. There's a lot of good imagery obviously making a statement about that kind of stuff and uh, there's some reveals about all the characters and whatnot. I think this is a really effective good movie with the message and everything like that. It has some creepy imagery. It's shot well. Just uh, a good film. Check it out. It's called Detention. I don't have all that much to say about it but I do think it's worth worth a look for sure for 2021. Okay, The next one up is another 2021 movie, and this is Gaia. Um, I watched this on Hulu, and uh, this would make a great double feature. Probably not because they're very similar. It might be bad to watch two of the same movies, but it shares a lot of similarities to Into the Earth from Ben Wheatley from this year. So we got a lot of uh, eco-horror or a couple eco-horror movies this year, which is nice to see. Um, So Gaia. This follows a story of, I, 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 uh, there are two kind of um, forest rangers or something along the lines. One's a forest ranger. I think one's somebody that studies a lot of this stuff, scientist. So they're kind of going out into this uh, isolated location where stuff's not supposed to be, you know, Damaged or, 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 you know, uh, looked at too deeply. So their drone, they lose one of their drones for something strange. Somebody attacks it. Um, and uh, they decide to split up one um, to go find the drone and they get lost. And it turns out there's something in these woods. There's something going on. Um, and uh, the, the young woman is actually kidnapped by, or helped in a certain way. She's kind of taken in. She falls into a, steps on a trap and she's taken in by a, a man and his son. And they look like they've been living out in the woods for a very long time. And it turns out that they're worshipping something which in the woods. Uh, and uh, it goes to find out that it's it's an eco horror film that uh, is following these strange kind of, uh, you know, you know, like uh, I, would, I would say it's not necessarily a god, but it's a presence within the woods. that has been there forever. So some of fungus, I would say, in a certain extent. But it's not necessarily a fungus. It's the actual... I don't want to spoil too much, but what happens is people are infected with it and it kind of overtakes their mind. Um, similar to what, like, you know, the ants are taken over by a fungus similar, but, uh, there's a lot of body horror going on where people are kind of mutated and, 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 Creates a lot of disturbing imagery, a lot of cool imagery. Um, Yeah, but of course there's going to be a power struggle between um, the father and the the woman over the son and all that kind of stuff comes to light. Anyways, it's got uh, good cinematography. It's got a good concept. It's got good special effects, although not too many practical a lot of CGI but it's got a great concept as far as the body horror is concerned and the nature aspect to it that makes it a little bit interesting I thought this was pretty good this is Gaia check it out um, this and Into the Earth I would range rank around the same uh, but maybe Gaia has a little bit more money behind them but both are very effective very kind of cool uh, eco horror movies that's uh, the first 20 minutes or so I was like I don't know about this but after that they really picked up and they caught my interest so give them a chance make it to the 30 minute mark and then tune out if you don't like them but I think that they're both pretty good so yeah uh, Gaia check it out okay another 2021 movie and this is a beta test directed by Jim Cummings starring Jim Cummings who did I think it was last year's or the year but last year or the year before last year, uh, the Wolf of Snow Hollow, which I absolutely loved. Thought it was very hilarious. I think it was my number two of the year it came out. So okay, the beta test. And I was like, well, I got to watch his movie for this year, and I didn't know how horror it was going to be. It's more of a thriller kind of comedy, um, and not horror enough, I don't think, to include in a top ten horror list. But still anybody else can do it to each their own. Anyways, I absolutely love this movie. Jim Cummings, um, which I believe, um, it amazes me how great he is in this and how amazing he is in Wolf of Snow Hollow. And then I believe he was in The Halloween Kills. And I remember, I think he was one of those cops in the beginning. And when I found that out, I was kind of baffled because performances in that movie are not up to snuff, which shows me that the writing is just kind of off. Even though I enjoyed that movie, it's just it just seems very bizarre. I don't know what's going on with the acting in that film. But um, Jim Cummings. Uh, is fucking phenomenal in this movie. Such a great, well-developed, well-written character and performance in here. So actually, both the actors, um, both the directors are in the movie as, as pretty big roles here. He, Jim Cummings also directed with one of the, uh, somebody else in here who's also acting in here. So he plays an agent uh, for like, uh, you know agent that, uh, you know, reaches out to like directors and producers and gets them to like sign with their company and whatnot. And uh, basically they're kind of like middlemen and in today's society, they're kind of like fading away and everything like that. So one day, Jim Cummings, he finds um, a little letter in his, an invitation in his mailbox that uh, is um, an anonymous kind of hookup. Right. Um, if you fill it out, you send it in, and uh, basically you're supposed to meet. He's he's just about to get married, so you you meet somebody anonymously and you have sex, and that's it. You don't know, you don't know who it is. Nobody ever hears about it again. So it kind of is bothering him all day, and and he starts to hyper focus on it and get. You see his obsessive personality. And you also see this 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 facade he puts on for other people, where he's always he's 100% go 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 go, and it's obviously driving him mad. The stress is killing him. He has an ulcer. Uh, It's probably going to kill him. That's how it's just very funny, very on all the time. We're excited. I'm excited. We're all excited. Excited. It's just hilarious. Um, So essentially, he's constantly thinking about this. He decides to do it. He does the hookup. um, But before he's leaving, he might catch a glimpse of her, and she might catch a glimpse of him. They're not supposed to. And it drives him down this rabbit hole of insanity. He starts to figure out, well, what, what's going on? And, and around the, the city, people are killing each other, spouses, some of them he knows and whatnot. And it's all kind of connected. And he starts to do down this downward spiral of insanity and these mental breaks. And you see him uh, just kind of losing his cool and losing everything. And, and there's, a, a, of course, a final meltdown that is absolutely brilliant. And I don't want to spoil too much, but it says a lot about society and a lot about this type of character and a lot about the people that take this kind of job and all that kind of stuff but it's got some really great moments it's absolutely hilarious it's absolutely it's very deep at the same time it's very well acted um, i didn't know exactly where it was going it's one of my favorite movies of the year hands down uh no doubt probably i uh, probably top two to be honest i thought it was brilliant There um, is there was some bad cgi blood because they're shooting in beautiful locations dealing with a lot of rich people and you can tell <laughs> They're like, we can't get blood on shit, so they'll do like really far away shots. But I can tell that the blood is very CGI and it looks very not good to me. But like I said, I, I never let bad special effects bother me in a movie that I adore now if i don't like the movie at all and the effects are bad that becomes like a sticking point for a lot of other people, people are like, go well, it's just the effects it's like you hated the movie before the effects right so the effects don't bother me um when it comes to that that cgi i mean i don't mind cgi as long as it's done right i think the cgi here is not very good but uh anyways uh that's the only knock on the movie i still think it's brilliant i still think it's wonderful um and there's some there's some um a couple brutal moments too. That uh, a couple scenes in here or there could make this more of a horror film, and I would include it. But I don't ever think it fully gets there. Um, but it doesn't really matter to me. It's only my own personal list for my own personal list. Anyways, I love this movie. I would recommend you guys checking it out. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot. It's deep and entertaining and just brilliant. The beta test. Um, yeah, love it. Alright, we're going to do the Patreon pick really quick, and this is, I believe, by David Scott. Picked this one, and this is Predestination, which I think came out in, what, 2014? It starts Ethan Hawke, is the big name in here. Um, And Ethan Hawke, you know, he takes a lot of chances, does a lot of indie movies. He did, like, Sinister and First Reform, and and he's just an actor, you know, Training Day, that... Like, after he became famous, he, I mean, he was always famous. He was a kid actor, but like, had some, some clout, I guess. He, he always took kind of crazier roles. Like, he always took chances. And this one, I would say, is definitely a chance. It's predestination. It is a time travel movie. Now, I'm going to say this right off the bat there's some brilliant time travel movies, Back to the Future, Terminator, but at the end of the day, no matter, and I won't let this ruin the movie for me. They don't make any fucking sense. Time travel doesn't make any fucking sense. You got two people the same in the same time. It's just like I don't know what would happen because we've never experienced time travel, or have we? Um, but I just don't. It just doesn't logically make any sense. You got all these kind of crazy like elements of you know like somebody like Kyle Reese going back and and having sex with Sarah Connor to have uh, John Connor. But whatever. And the predestination is that times fucking a million. Uh, Anyways, first and foremost, I I really like this movie. I thought it was fucking fantastic. But uh, um, in the very beginning, we have somebody who's an agent, a time-traveling agent. He gets blown up really bad, and he ends up going back and going through this reconstructive surgery and all that, and he's on his final mission. Basically, they time travel with this really cool... I believe it's a violin case or something along the lines. Uh, If it was Desperado, there'd be a gun in it. (laughs) It's a guitar case, I think. But uh, it just reminded me of that a bit. I think it's a violin case. So anyways, they try travel with that, and they're not supposed to... They have some rules and everything like that. If you time travel too much, too far, uh, it can fuck your brain up. Fuck your mental state up. Think Possessor. You know, if if you've done it too much, you lose kind of your humanity. You start to slip, kind of go nuts. So essentially what happens is um, he's jumping around, uh, and he has this final mission. And he, the big chunk of the movie is. Um he's in a bar and he meets this young person they start to have this conversation um, and uh, they're having a long conversation and it turns out this person is trans in a completely different way I don't know how to explain it uh, I guess the medical term would be hermaphrodite but there's all sorts of twists and turns and, and a big elaborate story to get there that I don't want to spoil but I thought that was a very interesting aspect how it was handled and everything like that so of course um, it turns out that Ethan Hawke is there for this person and they have uh, a, a, you know, a whole Line of things to do involving time travel without spoiling too much. Like I said, the more I explain about this movie, the more I will spoil, and I don't want to do that. But, uh, of course, there's going to be a bunch of revelations. Again, time travel, it's like, how did that work? what That doesn't make any fucking sense, but... it. It's just you gotta let, it, but it all comes together and it makes sense in the time travel world. It doesn't make any logical sense outside the time travel world. Why would it? I mean, but anyways, I thought this one was quite good. I thought that Ethan Hawk did a really good job. Um, he gets to play kind of uh, more than one role in here. That I thought was very well done. Um, so you got a lot of people kind of playing more than one role, or basically they're the same role but they're kind of multiple characters and not. And I like that. I thought that was really cool, really interesting. But uh, yeah, this definitely. Um, it also has who uh, What is that guy's name? Um, The boss in here is in a bunch of films. I always forget who he is, but he's in a handful of movies. He's pretty good in this. Anyways, like without spoiling too much, there's there's a lot of good... uh, It had me completely intrigued, and I did not know exactly how it was going to work, but uh, I really loved it. Uh, Like I said, I can't spoil anything else, but uh, it's fucking bonkers, too. Like I said, time travel movies always get your mind working. That's what I like about them, even though a lot of these movies, like, you know... You're like, I don't, it doesn't make exactly sense but like, you're like, well, oh, I like the idea here. The reveals are always kind of chills up your, your your spine And but it's, it's a good movie to get your brain working, right? It's a good movie to get like, if you needed to like write a lot to watch this and you're like, oh yes, it gets your creative juices flowing. Um, it gets you thinking. Like a lot of good sci-fi movies do. Um, they make you ask questions and all that kind of stuff and Predestination is no different. Check it out. Good stuff. Okay, the next one from 2021. I know it's going to be weird that I did the Patreon pick for but there's a reason for it. Uh, the next one from 2021 I'm going to talk about is Fear Street 1994. Now, I did try to watch this a few months back when it popped up on Netflix. I was like, oh shit, we're doing 1994. as the retro year. I should definitely watch uh, Fear Street 1994. So, so I started watching it. I saw the runtime was two hours. There were three of these fuckers. And I was like, oh shit, man, I... <laughs> And it's based on like, you know, R.L. Stein uh, novels and stuff. Is that, well, I don't even know if they're novels, whatever. I think they technically are novels uh, that were out when I was, I think, maybe a little before my time. I, I always read The Goosebumps as a kid and um, whatnot, but these are a little bit more adults. So, um, but they're made like they're, they're, <laughs> they're made for a little bit older audience, rated R, because they know everybody who read Fear Street is an adult now. So essentially, the first like 20 minutes of this movie, I was like, vomit inducing I was like trying not to gag um there's so many needle drops within the first five minutes. The re-schizophrenic um, non-stop editing. I was like, bop, 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 I know non-stop editing. It never stops editing. But still, um, even if it's one shot, it's still technically editing. <laughs> it's just the way they decided to edit. But the non-stop cuts. So it's just like, boom, 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 with all the music popping in. Like, And technically, it's not filmed poorly. It's well filmed. There's good sets. and so, But it, it's literally like being at a party and editing. And somebody's controlling the radio and they change a song and you listen to like 45 seconds and you're about to get to the chorus and everybody's into it at the party about to sing the chorus. And then they're like, no, no, nope. And they do it like fucking 50 times. I think the rule should be you can uh, do a needle drop. But and it only can be forty seconds, fifty seconds, the whole song, whatever. But you should not have another needle drop until technically that song would be over. I know it's just like saying, like at least give it fucking three, four minutes before you drop thirty songs in. And I it, it just drove me nuts. It just it seems so. Over the top, and another movie that just needle drops didn't fit and they seemed very forced was Skull Island. I was like, Oh shit, I know that you're not, it doesn't feel genuinely like the Vietnam era, so you're just using a bunch of songs that people, you know, associate with the Vietnam era, and like it just doesn't fucking work. And like this one, um, I know people are complaining, Well, that wouldn't be in the 94, that song's not, I don't really give a shit too much about that as long as they're in the kind of same, same time frame. It just was so fucking annoying. All the characters were obnoxious. No one was acting like a human being. Everybody was weird. They were like, my brother, OD. (laughs) I'm just like, what the fuck is this? It was so annoying. Everybody was so goddamn stupid, driving me crazy. And the first 30 minutes, I turned it off. This time I went back to it. I watched the first 30 minutes, felt the same exact fucking way. But after that 30 minutes, I was invested. And I actually, by the end of it, I enjoyed myself. So, This first 30 minutes though was the worst of 2021 for me besides tailgate. Uh, <laughs> I fucking hated it. It was I don't know if technically they're the worst movies, but they're the ones that I had least enjoyable time. But after that, this one became fun. And essentially what it is, is there's a lesbian uh, relationship, two young girls at the heart of it. And um, essentially they kind of uh, stumble on, accidentally kind of piss off a witch in this small town here. This town has been cursed for years. It seems like there's a murder. Like every every few years there's like a mass murder and everything like that. Somebody goes crazy. In the very beginning we have a very kind of style murder spree um so uh in a mall with orange julius there um the drinks but so what happens is like you kind of register that this town is cursed and i didn't read the fear street books so i'm not 100 sure how that works but it all plays into it and uh, they set up the second and third ones in here as well so what it is is they pissed off a witch and the witch wants one of these people dead and it's going to send a bunch of killers from the past that the witch kind of has their fingers in that kind of was responsible for it after them so we have multiple killers chasing them throughout the town while these young kids are trying to survive the one thing that kind of surprised me is a couple of the characters that are very well established throughout the entire movie do bite it at the end and I said holy shit um, the kills are really gory they're really fun they're really entertaining the cinematography is good it's good it's well shot um, it's not poorly directed although some of the characters are a little ridiculous and maybe somebody could say that's just the director not pulling them in but I would blame the writer and I would blame the editing and I would blame kind of the sound design stuff is just a little or the needle drops drive me a little crazy but besides that they slow down when you get in the the second and third act of the film that all slows down it all gets better it all gets more I guess grounded and I, I, I found myself enjoying it you know it is too long it's like two hours and like 10 minutes, 20 minutes. It doesn't have to be that fucking long. This feels more like a mini series than a movie at times. Um, And I did like some of the characters. I like the nerdy kid on the computer, although his computer would not work that good in 1994, which is very funny because I watched another movie from 1994, um, which had a computer in, Birds 2, Land's End, and there's a guy like there, I don't know how to do this on the computer, yada yada. And It's like seeing them move something. And this kid's like cruising on AOL, no interrupts, nothing like that. It's just like, yeah, computers really didn't look like that in 1994. I guess I can forgive it. But yeah, so we have like kind of established characters. Like I said, you have the pothead, you have the mean girl drug dealer who I don't, doesn't really feel like a real character. I mean, she does besides the drug dealing, but the way she drug deals and stuff is like who carried around a fucking case in high school. I don't remember anybody carrying around a case selling drugs in in 1994, although I was only eight, but still in high school years down the line, I don't like, like eight years later, I don't fucking remember that shit. Um, But still. It is a movie. It is uh, it is over the top, it is ridiculous. But like I said it's a big budget entertaining movie that is in love with scream um at, at times. It doesn't really feel like 94 and trust me I've watched uh, close to 50 movies so far for 94 retro year and I've probably seen another fucking 50 before that in my lifetime from 1994 horror films so um, it doesn't really feel like 1994 but uh, it, it does uh, get some A for effort for the good gore effects and uh, later down the line and, and it's entertaining all around you know and I think that uh, it could be a good gateway horror film too a lot of people were kind of complaining about some of the um, sexual stuff because these are supposed to be like 16 Seventeen-year-olds, and there's there's some decent sexual stuff in here. I don't mean decent as like oh, it's good. I mean there's some there's some kind of heavy sexual content in here, and the young kids and people are just like, I feel fucking weird about this. This feels like it's made for teens, but it's also R-rated. I don't know where to look at it. Yada yada yada. Anyways, I will definitely be checking out 1978. I kind of find it very funny that this is Fear Street 94, and it's obviously kind of the opening is like. Scream from 96, and then they're doing Fear Street 78, which is like, it's a summer camp slasher, and technically Friday the 13th came out in 1980, so it's like, why are you setting these two years before the kind of, the, the when this kind of stuff was made, right? It feels like it's like the the titles are two years before unless it's like saying like this is the first or of, of that or whatever the hell. You know what I'm saying? I know Halloween was 78, but it certainly wasn't a summer camp slasher like Friday the 13th and this one's supposed to do that. So I don't fucking know. The third one takes place in 1666. So we're going to see The Witch finally. Yeah, I'm kind of excited to check out the second one. I, I Maybe I'll like that one a little bit more because I'm past kind of what I expected and I got over this. Anyways, um... Uh, at the end of the day, I do like it. Um, it's just that the first thirty minutes are horrible, fucking horrible. Yeah, Fear Street 1994 had to do it before we go into the 1994 movies. All right, guys. So you know what time? It's time for the 1994 flicks. Prison officials say Dahmer's head may have been bashed against a wall. Days of last-minute appeals failed to stop the execution of America's most notorious mass murderer,
1: John Wayne Gacy.
0: Throughout, Chikatilo presented himself as a wretched victim
1: of nature's indifference. Say the proof. Reality! What do you know about reality?
0: <laughs> this is not a subtle story. This is not reality. Not reality. Not reality. This is reality. You yeah, <laughs> know? Not
1: reality.
0: reality.
1: <laughs> uh. <laughs> the delusion of a disordered mind, a phantom, a spirit, a
0: ghost. Look, he hasn't got any relatives, and the coma he's in is irreversible. Give me a signature, and I'll pull the plug now. Fuck
1: off. <laughs>
0: Okay, and the first one from 1994 has got to be The Birds 2, Land's End. It's a VHS from Universal here. That's right, um, and I couldn't help watching this. I did rent this as a kid once, and I don't think I finished it. It was one of those ones where I kind of partially seen it. Um, I don't remember if I ever finished it. I might have watched the whole damn thing. Is this a TV movie? It sure as hell felt like a TV movie, but I couldn't help. But when I was watching this, like I was laughing to myself. I'm an idiot, right? So... I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, like, um, these two, like, filmmakers or the people working on the movie, they're sitting there on, like, a summer, hot summer day. Coastal town is burning up. They're on the second floor. The windows open. The breeze is coming in. They're sitting here writing a script. And they're like, Birds to Land's End, a major motion picture. Um, and, And they're very excited about it. They're like, We're done. And they set it down. And I know this is not how filmmaking works, but I just couldn't help keep this picture in my head and the guy's like well who's going to be in it and um the guy's like you know Tom Berenger sounds like a good lead role for this and they're like you're right this script is good it's a sequel to an amazing Alfred Hitchcock movie let's offer it to Tom Berenger and then the guy gets off the phone he's sitting there looking very disappointed uh huh so he-, he won't do it at all no no. okay so he's like "All right." looks at his buddy Berenger won't do it what the hell are we going to do now and then they hear faintly from outside the window uh, down on the, on the, you know, they're on the second floor, but they hear faintly. I'll do it. They're like, what the hell? Do you hear that? And they, they look out the window and they see, uh, Brad, um, Thompson is it Brad Thompson or Brad Johnson, whatever. They see him. And he's like, Hey, Hey, they kind of ignore him. They look back at each other and they're like, yeah, Beringer won't do it. Um, what, what are we going to do now? And then we hear a knock on the door and it's Brad. And he says, Hey, I'll do the movie. Like They look at each other. They kind of grimace. All right. The writer turns over the script, crosses off, major motion picture on the script, writes TV movie, scratches off his entire script, writes Jaws ripoff. And there we go. That is Birds 2, Land's End. Um, so anyways, this stars uh, the guy I've seen him before, the leading guy in here. He's kind of like, he reminds me of like the poor man Tom Berenger. He's a fine actor. I'm just making a joke about it. He's decent. So, okay, what we have here is uh, a teacher and uh, a young woman, um, not young woman, his wife, played by Chelsea Field from Despa and Masters of the Universe. She's Tila. That's right. always loved her because of that movie. So uh, basically, they're husband and wife with two kids. They've actually suffered a loss of a child, so they're all messed up. Um, the husband's having a really hard time with it, so they decide to take summer vacation. He's going to work on his writing. She's going to get a secretary job teaching, um, I believe, is it that, um, this, this kind of uh, used to be a, a photographer. He still is kind of crazy photographer, you know, how to use the computer and everything like that. So um, they're sitting at this coastal town the kind of small town where the doctor is the mayor and he, he basically his office is the downtown bar or the small town bar getting drunk and he'll operate on people on the pool table. So, over time, um you start to figure out that the birds are up to no good. They'll attack Brad when he's doing work on the house, uh fly through the glass. Um yeah, so that's pretty much what happens here and the fa- the family is eventually attacked by the birds. No one believes him. Nobody. He tells the mayor, uh, nobody's going to believe him, him and the crazy lighthouse guy who is scandinavian descent um so these two kind of figured out that there's something up with the birds the mayor's not going to listen we can't shut down this is a fishing town this is jaws ripoff yeah even though maybe technically jaws kind of ripped off birds but i think birds is more eco whore you know than that because you kind of get the idea here that the birds are being killed by oil and shit and everything so they're kind of lashing out to attack the people that are creating it Anyways, um, so it all ends with all the birds attacking everybody on the docks. People are getting killed. There's some explosions. Trippy in here, of course. Kind of a, you know, roll in here to be a shout-out to the original. Um, yeah, um, I'm going to be honest with you. I know a lot of people think this is the worst film ever made because it's, hey, it's not as good as The Birds. It's just a cheap I believe TV movie. I don't even know if it's a TV movie. I probably made all that shit up. But or direct a video regardless. Uh, uh, so, there was like, I don't know. You, you weren't going to get the birds we're so far removed this is 1994 i knew we weren't getting the birds original all right um i knew we weren't getting something of that caliber i knew exactly what this was like i said i believe i'd see this as a kid so rewatching it i was i was completely fine with it i was entertained uh there's some brutal stuff for it for this kind of movie you wouldn't expect it at the very end um and it's kind of heartless in a way like they decide to kill a couple family pets and i was just like that's kind of dark that's a little sad and this dog man this i know i spoiled that this fucking dog in this movie is always causing trouble. Eats their fucking turkey, is running away, putting baby birds in its mouth. It's just causing a lot of trouble. When this dog died in the movie, I was kind of like, I'm kind of sad, but I'm kind of relieved because this dog was kind of a pain in the ass. Anyways, it ends kind of quick, but on a darker note, the birds are heading towards the land. Maybe they're coming to your house next. Stop throwing your shit in the ocean or the birds are going to get you. All right, uh, Birds 2, Land's End. It's not that bad. I enjoyed it. It was kind of fun. Okay, this next one from 1994 is more of an exploitation horror film. It's from the Hong Kong, so it's got to be an exploitation film, even if it's listed as a as a comedy drama. That's right. This is 1941, Hong Kong on Fire. And this is kind of in line with the Men Behind the Sun films, like the, I wouldn't say the first one, maybe something, it's not as grotesque even as Laboratory of the Devil, or even Narrow uh, Escape, or, or and especially not as fucked up as Black Sun, The Naking Massacre, but it, it shares a lot of DNA with that one. So, um, it opens up uh, kind of explaining, you know, uh, the Naking Massacre, and this is like during like um, that this happened previously, and essentially this is kind of when Japan invaded Hong Kong right during during World War II and did a bunch of horrible shit, a slaughter and everything like that, and took over Hong Kong because it was British ruled and we were at war, yada yada yada, they were at war with them. So essentially what happens is we kind of establish all the characters here. We have this family. It's kinda of like from two different, you know, mothers and everything like that. The, the a lot of the the two young the two of the girls' mother or one of the girls' mother was dead. Two of them I think were dead. And um, one of the girls kind of went abroad to study and whatnot, and she's coming back, and there's like this lingering threat that Hong, Japan is gonna invade Hong Kong. Right now, and she kind of like you introduced to her family, her her father, who is also the uh pawn star guy, not the pawn star, pawn bro, pawn guy, pawn store guy. So he kind of takes advantage of people at times, and it's kind of strange, like you introduce him as like a piece of shit, so you're like, Oh, this guy's an asshole, but then he ends up being like one of the main characters, the girl's father, and the mother, uh, who is is like what has her daughter, and then there's the other two daughters, she's kind of a mean bitch. And then you have the abroad daughter, the daughter who's kind of like been stuck here. And then like the rich snobby, kind of the snobbier daughter. And then they have a family friend who's kind of like a duller who like is a massive ox. Those are kind of like the main characters. Um, The one girl is infatuated with the doctor but uh, the abroad girl kind of like the girl who studies abroad kind of meets up with the doctor and like starts a relationship with him so we have a love triangle thing going on and we have some comedy beats with the family before tragedy kind of goes nuts and there's even some, some comedy beats during some inappropriate times like when they're getting robbed uh, like uh, after you know Japan is invaded somebody steals a goldfish and you're just like what the fuck is this but essentially uh, there's some brutal moments when Japan does of course you have your rapes that's in every just like Black Sun making massacre you gotta have a bunch of rapes in these movies you know is it a hong kong movie without rape i don't know if it is probably not technically so sexual violence of course and people taking advantage of one of the girls goes catatonic because of it and uh f- soon enough there is of course in the opening you do see a baby on a bayonet which is a famous shot from black the aching massacre um <laughs> much more effective in that film um and disturbing but you just see some real awful stuff japanese people killing these uh you know children and torture techniques of filling people up with water like boiling water and then cutting their their stomach and their inner it's just real kind of brutal shit in here um, of course but uh, and, like a lot of war films have the brutal stuff but it turns out that the father actually ends up selling out to the to his country and joining up with the Japanese and everything like that and you kind of get an insight into how their torture works and he ends up having to give up his daughter and, uh, of course, it's going to be up to this family to somehow stand up against them. And there's, like, this big kind of escape and, and brutal, like, shootouts and all this kind of stuff. I say brutal, but entertaining shootouts. And, and some of the baddies are killed. Like, the Japanese general is, like, this real sleazy guy who likes, like, uh, the real rough BDSM stuff with the women. So, like, yeah, it, it ends up really cool. And, like I said, it starts off with the goofy comical stuff. It gets very exploitative where you're like, I can't believe they're doing this shit. And then, like every other Hong Kong movie I watch, it gets very touching at the end with all the characters and you're like oh shit not everybody's going to make it out of this situation and I caught myself very teary eyed at the end especially when someone reaches out their hand and they're just not fast enough, and a bullet comes somewhere, and it's just, yeah, I was like, oh shit, but uh, yeah, I, I thought this was pretty good, Um, as you could tell I'm a fan of Hong Kong films, I'm a fan of war films I'm a fan of exploitation films, so and I do like Black Sun, the Naked Massacre and the First Men Behind the Sun movie, so yeah, I, I like this one, and it's not as brutal as Men Behind the Sun or Black Sun, the Naked Massacre, don't go in there expecting a real autopsy, or a cat getting fed to rats, or some shit like that, it's not that brutal it's all obviously fake, and it starts off kind of light and goofy in the very beginning, you know with some slapsticky shit, but then and it becomes a little bit more brutal and then more of a hardcore drama at the end but yeah that is 1941 hong kong on fire and i believe there was another uh movie from hong kong which told the same story from 1984 with chow yong fat if i'm not mistaken which i did not actually get to see myself but anyways i i would recommend checking this one out so yeah Okay, the next one is Amazing Stories from 1994. Now, Internet Movie Database lists this as 1984, but all the other sources listed as 1994. Some people believe it is because um, the Amazing Stories television show that Spielberg uh, made was made originally in 1984, and it's just kind of no one gives a shit about this movie or no one really talks about it. There's not much information about it, so it's listed as 84 in Internet Movie Database, but everywhere else listed as 94, so I decided to count it as 1994. It's another Hong Kong flick, and it's an anthology. An anthology flick, which is kind of bizarre are. So there's three stories in here. All of them are period piece stories. The first one is uh, about an awful, disgusting husband who's purchased a woman. He likes to beat her and uh, rape her and just treat her very poorly. Again, would it be a Hong Kong movie without rape? I don't fucking know. Um, So anyways, what happens is he has this, uh, she has this young doll that she kind of uh, always carries around with her. One day, this awful husband tosses the doll into kind of the the windmill water area and um, I believe it's her brother or a family friend or somebody like that is a slow guy goes in there to get the doll for her and he ends up getting killed. Um, So what happens is every time she's abused from now on, she reaches, she calls for um, the doll comes to life and ends up helping her. And it's that young man, which has been inside the doll. And of course there's going to be some, you know uh, you know, some comeuppance that's kind of, you know, a short, that's kind of what's going to happen here. But uh, um, the man, the, the husband in here, he's such a brutal piece of shit. like, if you ever get the, the the better on one of these kind of guys, don't ever let him get away. Like, don't ever let him get off. Because there's a point where the character lets that person kind of like backs off a little bit, and he still does the same shit. Just take him out he's not going to get better. He's not going to be a good guy. But so the second one is probably the most I would say like uh, fits most with like the culture and it probably has a lot of stuff like that you wouldn't necessarily I didn't necessarily understand or grasp a lot of legends and myths and everything like that. So a young boy kind of lets this skunk out of a trap when he's very little and he gets beaten for it. Um, years down the line, he um, he spots this this young woman who the, who's kind of hurt. She says her, her her brother has died. He ends up taking her back and healing but it turns out that this person uh, has had like some um, like you see glimpses of like this this past even before that like uh, from even before and stuff like that it all comes together but it turns out that there's kind of these two mythical forms within the woods and they're both kind of fighting over this guy without spoiling too much this one is the most bizarre but there is some sex scenes and whatnot in here if that's your thing And the final story is, I believe it feels like the longest. It's kind of the most elaborate in here. So we have a husband and wife. They run this restaurant. The wife is always kind of mean to the older husband. He's not very good at satisfying her and whatnot. So uh, sexually in any any kind of way, any kind of capacity. Um, So he's kind of weak and just she's always yelling at him and bossing him around. One day this soldier comes in and he demands a meal. He has no money to pay them. He's a real asshole at first. And then they decide, well, you're just going to have to work it off. So he starts to stay there one night he decides to get aggressive with the wife and and rapes her she ends up enjoying it um yeah bad message mix bad messages right there right um like we had the conversation me and Jeremy about uh like uh, lesser rape and extreme rape when we're talking to straw dogs it's just like oh fuck how can you compare rapes that's really bad but uh, so anyways uh, they start a relationship on the side and she gets pregnant um but there's some kind of you know fucking shit gonna happen, some poison and poison, all this kind of twist and turns and whatnot, you can kind of expect it there is some steamy sex scenes in this one, if that's your thing, and there's of course a twist and some just desserts and whatnot and it leaves on a really, what? kind of uh, note, but it's kind of like, whatever so Amazing Stories, I liked it, I think it's pretty good, um, yeah, I think all the stories are worth watching, I like the first and the third better than the second, but like I said, there's definitely some translation, not in the subtitles, but some translation issues, some lost translation with that, uh, that second one but that's amazing stories all period pieces all anthology 1994 from hong kong kind of a kind of a uh, oddity right? when you think about it in that way possibly it's from 1984 fuck i don't really know Okay, the last one from 1994 is almost dead, starring Shannon Doherty. I always have trouble with her name; it's like a strange name to me. So, uh, yeah, this is a weird one. Uh, this is a TV movie. <laughs> it's from Lifetime. I think it aired on Lifetime originally, so this is a Lifetime horror movie from 1994. So, uh, uh, what we have is Shannon Doherty. She works as a scientist, kind of like she's like um, like a grad student or something like that. She's a, uh, uh, and she is. Not necessarily grad student. She's like not the the main doctor, but an assistant doctor, and she works with um, uh, twins and whatnot. And uh, so she just recently lost her mother, and her mother died in a very you know tragic, over the top way. She died in a fire. And uh, she starts to see her mother everywhere. Um, She initially calls her psychiatrist. And you realize that she's been, you know, through therapy and everything like this for something like this before. She obviously has some mental trauma from the issue, which can be expected. So she starts to see her mother everywhere. And her mother looks genuinely creepy. She's wearing the same clothes she was buried in. She looks all rotten, her teeth. And she starts to, like, haunt her and drive her mad. Um, Basically, what happens is this, this cop, who had lost his wife in the last six months or something, decides to help her out. Out, and uh, they realize that there's nobody in uh, the mother's grave it's a completely empty grave her car's been set on fire her bathroom and her house has been burned uh, burned. and so she starts to realize that she thinks her dead mother is after her and the cop starts to think something's up too and it gets really complicated but they did set up that there could possibly be something else going on but I think that what they really did well was that they did uh, make the dead mother when she shows up she's genuinely creepy like I was like oh Shit, that, that's effective. There's some effective scares in here. And they suggest that wherever the dead person goes, wherever the dead person goes, and they think that they, they start to suggest that this is happening to multiple people. At one point, you know, oh, shit, this is scary. Wherever the dead person goes, it's only happening to people who committed suicide. There is like burning and a sulfur smell suggesting that they crawled out of the fucking hell because they committed suicide and they're haunting the people or trying to kill the people of their family. And I was like, that is such a cool concept. Of course, they kind of fuck it up at the end. But that is a scary-ass concept too. For a Lifetime movie, this is like one of these movies that cause kinder trauma. Um, but yeah, uh, anyways, uh, it, it's enjoyable uh, for a, a Lifetime movie. Better than I expected. And I have no, no, no real knocks on it. Of course, uh, John Dahl is in here. John, I always forget how to say his name. And he plays like a, a hunchback like character really weird performance from him he's a pretty solid actor usually i mean he pops up in stripes and and a slew of other movies and he's usually pretty good body parts this one he's not fucking good and i don't know what the hell he's doing he's bizarre but uh, there's a lot of cheesy dialogue that did make me laugh and there is a supernatural element uh, with a priest and everything so this one sounds like it's up your alley check it out it's called almost dead uh you could do a lot worse for you know a lifetime movie and you could do a lot worse for a cheap 1994 movie too and you probably do a lot worse for a shannon doherty movie Yeah, so yeah, check it out. Hey guys, what's up? We're here for a couple reviews. The first one is actually going to be Nightmare Alley. We saw this in the theaters. We got to go support Del Toro. Anytime Mm -hmm. Del Toro's got a movie, we go uh, to the theaters. I can't believe his last one literally was um, Shape of Water. I think it was Shape of Water. I think it was in the theaters. Anyways, I think Del Toro is one of the greatest living directors. Um, I love him. I love his visual style. I think we both feel the same way about him.
1: Oh, yeah, he's one of my absolute favorites. Yeah, he's one of the best. Um,
0: so uh, Nightmare Alley, um, is I think it's a loose remake or inspired by an original movie. I know uh, we, ha- we have the criterion that I've actually not actually had a chance to watch, which is insulting, I know. But the way I see Del Toro is he always, like, um, he, he being like a film lover and fanatic, like similar to, I know people hate this movie, but Peter Jackson's uh, King Kong. Like I imagine Del Toro is probably sitting there, Thinking about it, just even getting glimpses of it, just thinking, elaborating on the possible worlds and everything like that. So this is a period piece that takes place, what, in the late 30s, early 40s? It's during World I'd War say, II. say,
1: yeah, like super early 40s.
0: Yeah, so uh, basically Bradley Cooper is uh, kind of a drifter, and he ends up stumbling at this uh, to this carnival, and Willem Defoe gives him kind of a job, uh, and odd jobs and everything, and he starts to work his way up, and you realize he's a great grifter, and uh from there it kind of goes into like film noir territory uh rags to riches and i won't spoil too much but uh the cast is fantastic we have bradley cooper like i sta- said before kate blanchett um uh, rooney mara ron perlman did i say willem defoe already i'm sure i did um richard jenkins jim beaver oh geez, um tony collette who's becoming one of my favorite actresses to see in films and um i'm forgetting somebody uh the old man who plays um pete is in a is in a handful of movies you recognize him uh geez what is the actor i'm thinking of um i know i'm missing somebody oh uh the guy from Mine hunter is also yeah. in here the guy who's in creep show too this hair is going to get me paid uh paid and laid <laughs> <laughs> so it's great seeing him um First and foremost, I have to say that the acting is next-level amazing. He uses a lot of the same actors over and over again, and they always deliver the goods. So, uh, uh, my initial reaction, without spoiling anything, is I absolutely love this movie. It's my favorite film of the year. So, what do you think?
1: It's, I think, um, it's probably like my second film of the year. I still like Last Night at Soho. Um, But this one, I think, trumps in the acting department like the scenes between um cooper and blanchett were like like they they had me on like the edge of my seat the entire time they both delivered some like extremely powerful performances um and you know they only have like a handful of scenes uh that this movie really is kind of like a two-parter movie um so Yeah, it it was just a really compelling movie. I didn't quite know where it was going to go at first. Um, (laughs) There's a a point in the movie where you know exactly
0: where it's going to go. And I know that I was talking to Jeremy from 22 Shots, and he he said a couple things. I don't want to steal him. He said, I love how the first half is rainy and very summer, Mm -hmm. and you get that feeling. And the second half, which I notice these things too. Uh, but he says the second half is so cold, and I, right. the colors are perfect. It really genuinely feels cold. His sets are unmatched. His set design is unmatched. His costumes are unmatched. Right. Um, I think that this... Um, I've seen Bradley Cooper in a handful of things, and he always does a great job, but this made me absolutely love him. I do. I, this is my favorite performance I've seen in a long time. The end scene is, is fucking what, what makes oscars to me like uh, i just can't believe how good that was i've been thinking about it for days since i saw it uh absolute amazing film i love the carnival aspect It's one of my favorite things and in, in like it's not necessarily horror but it has horror aspects is it man or is it beast mm-hmm. it's just perfect will of is a perfect carnival barker by the way uh yeah it's just like i said couldn't be cast better no. couldn't be acted better and I know that we also discussed, he says, well, it was predictable where it was going. This is not the type of film that it lives and dies on twist. It's not that. Right. it's, no, it, it's, it's not. it sets these things up very, obviously sometimes, but very thoroughly and well done, and it delivers on them. It's a story of a, of a character. Right. A couple characters, actually, but... Um, I, I love how it it does play with like not necessarily the supernatural, but playing on people's thoughts of the
1: supernatural. Yeah, um, I think that this one might be a bit more grounded yeah. in reality than most of Del Toro's stuff, um, especially something like like Pan's Labyrinth or uh, Shape of Water. Um, but speaking of like like those two, just I I again I love Del Toro's sets. I, I love like the time periods he picks. Um, he puts so much effort in just, like, the way things look. Um, so this one has, like, like the 40s aesthetic. You have, like, the poor side, like, out in the country, the, you know, traveling carnivals, like, the sheer poverty. And then you have, like, the high life of, like, uh, like a New York City 40s-style art deco look. And it, it's just, fan, it looks fantastic. Um so I think Shape of Water, you have that, like, 50s, 60s pop going on. Um, just it. His movies are just like like a, a neat thing to watch they're like they're just so like stunningly beautiful and I think it's one of the things he that always creates has the best worlds of anyone he does absolutely. Well, Quentin did a great job with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood he, too. He, he did. Yeah. Um so so this, this, I mean this, this movie definitely delivers in the in that sense just like like the architecture of the buildings especially I am much I really like the second half more than the first half
0: um I, I like both of them i was a bit worried that um, when it switched i wasn't going to enjoy it as much but i absolutely um liked it just as much i mean it, it looks amazing like you yeah. would think that you could make sets to, and stuff look just as cool and interesting as a carnival because they mm. really do but uh there's so many reoccurring themes and like motifs and stuff like that in this movie uh, especially with bradley cooper and everything about him, his character is so well set up, and everything pays off wonderfully. Uh, so, uh, towards the end of this movie, like, I, let's say this. Before, I, 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 don't wanna, I do not want to get into some spoilers here, slight spoilers, mm-hmm. and, and I'll let people skip ahead. I don't want to say anything too spoilerific. Um, Richard Jenkins is fucking terrifying in this movie. Uh, and, and everybody's top notch. To mm-hmm. single out anybody but Bradley Cooper, Richard Jenkins, it's, it's insane. Like, to me, next level acting and a lot of uh back and forth between him and kate blanchett this is fucking amazing too
1: yeah everybody's performance is just stunning um i i'm to kate blanchett every time i see her pop up in something i always forget that it's her and then i'm like man th- this is the woman i love like no wonder like, I'm drawn <laughs> to these things. <laughs> uh, now, I say
0: 5 out of 5. 10 out of 10. Absolute favorite movie of the year. Not horror, but film noir, horror adjacent. I would put it in the same category. Uh, amazing film. Wow. Yeah. One of my favorites. I've Easily 5 out of 5. 5 out of 5. You can't argue mm-hmm. that. And uh, as far as spoilers are concerned, um, man, towards the end of this movie, I had great distress. I was very worried for a certain character. Um, and I'm so glad how this, how this movie ended. Mm -hmm. Um, the, 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 they gave the character tons of time to act with it. Um, and all I'll say as far as spoilers are concerned was I was born for it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. I was so happy. (laughs) You, anything you want to say?
1: Um, just every character has just, just this really nice defined arc. Um, they, they all get, like, time to really, like, embody their character and chew a scenery. Like, even the minor characters, like the people from the carnival, um, I I feel like everybody kind of has, like, that one scene that defines their character. Um the, the guy from Mind Crime, you know, he he's not in it that much, but you know Everything he, he does is gold. It's, Everything it's he just does. Just his is posture, gold. his demeanor is, is dead on purpose. Right. And you know, he, he, he gets the scene of Bradley Cooper and it's like, I get this guy. Like this makes sense. Um oh, yeah, I understand everybody in the movie to a certain yeah. extent. Uh it's, God. like no character is wasted in this. No. No. Like and, and I think that's what I like is you know, I, I, I like characters, um and to see each of them get to have like like a, a, a an arc is just really nice. Like Doctor doesn't forget things, you know what I mean. Like when he's putting together his movies, like everything has has. Clifton Collins was a little underutilized.
0: That. I would have liked to see a little bit more of him. Which one was he?
1: He was the uh, he was one of
0: the carnies. He had the guitar and stuff, or the musical instrument. Um, oh, okay. And I believe that is Tim Blake Nelson at the very end of the movie, the other Carney boss. And uh, <laughs> that whole scene is just brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I I love this movie. It's 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 perfect. Go see it. Um, I just don't know. It like I just don't understand how you could dislike something like this for me. Um, like I said, I loved it. So,
1: oh yeah, fantastic. Oh, What? What is this?
0: Zombie Blood 2, Rage of the Undead.
1: Uh-huh. What? You ain't seen Zombie Blood 2, Rage of the Undead? Nah, no, I guess I must have missed that one. You ain't seen nothing. You ain't seen nothing. I've seen way more than you. Mm-hmm. you haven't seen
0: Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, Casino, Cannibal Holocaust, The Beginning, The Great Escape, Kelly's Heroes. Oh. Once About a Time in the
1: fucking West! You haven't seen War and Peace, Pink Flamingos, Casablanca, Gone with the Wind, Citizen Game, The Alvin and the Chipmunks Christmas Special.
0: You haven't seen. Hmm, what else haven't you seen? The Magnificent Seven? The Magnificent Seven Ride Again? The Magnificent Seven Are Back? Is that a movie? And last of all,
1: You ain't seen Zombie Bloodbath 2, Rage of the Undead.
0: And you haven't seen War and Peace? I ain't watching War and Peace. The hell you are? Fuck War and Peace. All right, so the next one was You uh, You Ain't Seen, and Mm -hmm. I picked it for Jeremy. And uh, I was being a little selfish. It was a 4K I got, and I was like, man, I haven't watched that movie in years. I always loved it. I'd really like to rewatch it. Um, So I, I wanted Jeremy to check it out, too. Uh, this a uh, Bell Ferreira's movie, King of New York, starring Christopher Walken, um, Wesley Snipes, Lawrence Fishburne, David Caruso, Victor Argo, Steve Buscemi's in it, uh, Paul Calderon, uh, Giancarlo Espin- uh, Espinito. Uh, there's a lot of people in this one. Uh, it's, it's top-notch cast. A um, fucking James Lorenz from is in here as well. Uh, yeah, so um, a Bell Ferrera kind of is like one of the big New York kind of sleazy directors. He did a lot of you know cool like kind of horror horror adjacent movies like Driller Killer um, which made it in the video nasties list Um, and of course Miss 45 which is an iconic awesome Mm -hmm. great rape revenge film um and he also did Bad Lieutenant with Harvey Keitel, which is a great film. The Body Snatchers from the 90s, which is an underrated oh, is movie. Too? Yeah, oh, that's okay. that doesn't even feel like him, but that's a totally mm-hmm. underrated film. He did some other ones, Dangerous Game, New Rose uh, Hotel or some motel, I can't remember exactly. And The Addiction with uh, Christopher Walken as a small role as well.
1: Uh, maybe slight tangent is the one from the 90s the one that's on the military part? yes yeah, okay, yeah 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 so that one's really good mm-hmm.
0: um had a lot of horror people involved with it um i think like i think larry cohen worked on the script maybe was it joe dante stewart Gordon? had a lot of people it's kind of amazing that it had all those people involved with it but uh, anyways uh abelle captures new york like nobody else and uh christopher walken doesn't star uh, doesn't do that many starring roles Right. But uh, he, he's really tremendous in this film He is a, a mobster named Frank White And we open it up Kind of like right in the middle of his story really He gets mm. out of prison He kind of goes back at, to his like, gang and everything And his lead gang guy is actually Lawrence Fishburne in a young Young performance, full of energy, yeah. just an amazing, my, my favorite character of the movie is Lawrence Fishburne. He's got some of the best dialog Walking is amazing. but mm-hmm. And uh, essentially, he's going to start picking off rival gangsters that he doesn't like how they do business. You know, people that rip off their guys, you know, people that prostitute young people, people that are unwilling to help society. Because Frank White is kind of like a real-life Kingpin, even though this is not real life either, Wilson Fisk. But a more grounded kingpin. A more grounded kingpin where he, <clears throat> he is bad and villainous, but he also has a soft side where he wants to contribute to society because he knows that, you know, I guess running a society that is trash is no purpose to run it. And he's very loyal to his guys. Um, there's three cops that are on his tail, uh, r- led by Victor Argo, taxi driver, True Romance, Mean Streets. I believe. Yeah, he's the mob boss in Mean Streets. And, uh, he plays a cop named Roy Bishop and it's kind of two guys that are underneath him, Wesley Snipes and David Caruso, who's completely chewing the scenery and, and well cast in this one. He's, <laughs> David Caruso is one of those, uh, ridiculous actors that's always screaming a lot of times. And sometimes it doesn't Work, but this time, it's, it's 100% perfect. So, yeah, it's not going to end well. It's a mobster film. There's a lot of action, a lot of 90s rap, a lot of gratuitous nudity, a lot of gratuitous violence and action. And it looks beautiful in 4K from Arrow. Um, lots of great colors. And take it away.
1: Oh, um, you, you know, I'm not really big into, like, like the crime, mafia movie types. Um, I, I don't know why. It just never clicked with me. But, but this one actually did. Um, And and I don't know if it was necessarily Walken that did it, or just like the strong characters, like Lawrence Fishburne, I thought was amazing. um, Even even the Caruso, like like as much as I I hated, you love to hate him, he's perfect. Yeah, but I'm like like I just want to like like joke him. I'm like, why are you doing (laughs) this? I don't get it. And then you know like like his plan towards the end of the movie just you know pissed me off. We can spoil this one. Yeah, yeah, we're going to spoil this (laughs) one. Um, no, I think that this one was, it, it was a really nice watch. Um, and again, th- uh, this one, you know, is I think very character driven. Um, it's interesting to see Christopher Walken in like a lead performance because I, I think that a lot of times it's Christopher Walken being Christopher Walken, and but when you get <laughs> to see him like actually act and like play a, a more complex character it's like he comes across really good. You said
0: he's a little bit more versatile than people would give him credit for. And if
1: you take something like
0: this and, um, let's say, The Dead Zone, which is a completely different role, and, let's say, Pulp Fiction, just Mm -hmm. where he kind of runs in and does his walk-in thing. Or or Deer Hunter. He's not the same guy in every movie. And I I feel like a lot of people would say that about Walken and Samuel Jackson. Yeah. And I do, I mean, Walken I think is a little bit more versatile than Sam Jack. But Sam Jack is underrated on his you know uh different his uh you know versatility versatility, i would say so and Walken just he's tremendous in this movie i mean he's got so many good lines um Mm. who made you judge jury that's uh victor argo says it's a tough job but somebody's
1: gotta do it like like (laughs) you know like Walken always has an intense performance um you know batman returns is like one of my (laughs) <laughs> movies and it's fucking stupid but it's like i i love that movie and i love walking in it um yeah and that's you know the starring cast aside i like walking like fourth him that um what's one of walking is it live the tell or oh you're talking about at close at range close range um, great in that movie. again is like this such white trash well, and, and, like, like that's some, like, intense scenes in there. Um, wow!
0: When he shoots at him? Wow! Yeah. <laughs>
1: that's, that's typical Walken. Um, yeah, I, I, I forgot about that movie. Yeah. yeah he's, I love that movie. Um, so so this one was a really fun watch. Um, I like the politics that's going on in it. Like, you see, like, all these different... Yeah, yeah Walken's interacting with these, like, mob bosses, but then he's also interacting with the politicians, and, like, his main thing is trying to get this neighborhood hospital to stay afloat, you know, because yeah. we're going to cut the funding for it. And basically he's kind of like reining in all of these crime uh, rings to yeah
0: An- another great thing is Abel Ferreira is very good it's Abel I always say Abel it's Abel okay.
1: Ferreira it's
0: very like his cast is very diverse and it's a New York fucking mm-hmm. city it should be so there's so many different elements in here you know there's a lot of African Americans white people then you have Italians you have um, I think they're Chinese is that I, or I, Japanese Chinese Chinese, yeah. Uh, gangs and everything like that. Uh, Hispanics and, um, you know, other South American people. So it's like a broad uh, cast, and I love that. I um, mean, and he's not afraid for characters to make remarks about other people's cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just kind of in general, you know, a lot of crime people will say stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I do love it. Like, and I love the cops' approach while Caruso and Snipes are not uh, there to. Um, kind of like follow the rules they're way past the rules they're yeah. young they're upset but bishop is trying to he's trying to walk the line man and he mm-hmm. he tries to do it by getting to some of franks you know more Respected people like his attorney or or somebody. Uh, he he has a lot of powerful connections, so he'll approach them and it's like, "What's wrong with you people?" Mm-hmm. And Victor Argo is a good actor that you don't get to see star in that many movies either. So seeing him uh, in a bigger role was very refreshing. He he has a bit role in uh, Abel Ferrera's The Funeral too, which also stars Christopher Walken and Chris Penn, and that's a good one too. That ending will knock knock your fucking socks off. I remember I always remember that ending. But, uh, yeah, I, I love this movie, and uh, he, he's very good. Uh, the action scenes can be intense and a little over the top, I mean, mm-hmm. but they're just so adrenaline-pumping, because the shots, when they land and people get killed, there's mm-hmm. scenes where a lot of people get killed, and, uh, like, the background characters are established. You know who they are. They're around a lot. So when they die, it's not just nameless people in the cops and in the uh, the uh, Walkins crew. Yeah. Um, that the, my favorite scene or my favorite line in the movie is Lawrence Fishburne uh, nobody rots for free motherfucker and they set that scene up beautifully because that guy had just got married he's right. Caruso's you know brother or something it's just fucked it's completely fucked and also when because uh, you see him die and then later it goes on and then you have the showdown with Snipes and Fishburne just minutes after you don't really expect one of them to die there right let alone fucking both of them right so you're like oh shit like, um, so so when uh, Tommy Flanagan dies, that's uh, Wesley Snipes mm-hmm. and Caruso is over him, and he's like, "Tommy, come on, Tommy, breathe." It's it's actually really uh, unnerving. Yeah, and and you have Lords Fishburne just cackling. i can't, that motherfucker's dead. <laughs> um, and it's just, I don't know. It's got the rain. It's a beautiful scene. It's a beautiful scene. Uh, I love it. Like I said, this is one of my all-time favorite movies. If you guys have not noticed, um, performances top-notch. Everybody in there. What, what are these for? To plug up the holes? Uh, <laughs> uh, just a lot of brilliant lines. Uh, anyways, for me, it's five out of five. Uh, look gorgeous on 4K. Um, I, I, I love how this one looks. I, I've always seen it on cheap VHS and DVDs, so I never uh, expected something to look this amazing. Um, oh, and, and if you guys great. do buy 4Ks, uh, 4Ks are region free as of right now, so... Pop that, just import it in from uh, Arrow, and you won't be disappointed. It's a yeah. fantastic movie. They'll play in your microwave. It <laughs> will not play in your microwave. In fact, do not put any right. di- uh, digital video disc, 4K, we so blue a disclaimer, in right your now. microwave. <laughs> you can probably throw a couple of VHS in there to kill the mold. uh, right. but, uh <laughs> And your laser discs are already junk probably by now, so don't worry just about that. Just use those for dinner
1: later. <laughs> Yeah. Um, anyways, I love it. Um, who is your favorite character? I mean, I'm probably going to have to say uh, Frank White, but um, Bishop I thought was really cool. And I, I do wish that they had a bit more scenes together. Um, their their ending scene it was, I thought, really well done. I just, I, I think it didn't land quite as Strong for me as it could have.
0: Um, because you feel like it almost climaxes before because there's so much, it's like a non stop
1: action, like right. 30 minutes of just everybody getting wasted. And, and yeah, and like, like yeah, seriously, like 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 the 30, 20 minutes right before there. It's just intense. It, it, it's an intense climax. And, you know, it's. I get the police side, I get, you know, uh, the, the crime side. So it's like. And Walker makes a good point. I just wish. I think it could have been a bit stronger, but um, it, it wasn't bad. It, w- it was really good. I mean, I still give this one a 5 out of 5 easily. You can't
0: hide behind her forever. <laughs> I don't need forever.
1: I said, s- You know, that, that was a little bit of <laughs> a weird thing. Um, well, they couldn't show
0: walk and get shot. They wanted that kind of mystery there.
1: Right. And, and I, I would say that... <laughs> sorry. No, no, you're fine. Um, that that was the one thing. It, it was just like a sloppy thing where... where you know, spoiler or whatever, but... Um, Like you know, so walking, shopping. You're not supposed to know that he's shot, and then like they show him kind of like walking through the crowd. That could have been a visual, like throw you off too. Right, you know. But but there's just you know a a non unsubstantial clip of him walking like like fully because the entire time he's covering himself. Like, but you don't know. But there's a split second of him not covering himself. So you're walking relieved. I'm like, oh, he's fucking fine. And And then then he gets in the cab, and it's like.
0: There's blood. though. There. Ah, am like, you, you can't do that. It was
1: an accident. Who cares? It's it New was York an accident. It it's, was very, very it, minor. But you no, know,
0: it's hard to. You you got what the coverage you got. It's New York. They charge you fucking a fucking a lot of money to be on a <laughs> tripod in New York City, which I wonder how much of it was not on a tripod. But that end shot, there's like crane shots and shit. Right. It's pretty Yeah. Big. It was. This, I mean, it was. It was good. It's, probably the biggest Abel Ferreira movie, Abel Ferrera movie there is. I, maybe besides Body Snatchers had a, a substantial budget, but this has the. No, that had a good cast too. I think this has the better cast. Body Snatchers and this both cost a lot of money. I would say.
1: Um, did they do China?
0: He did really? Chinatown
1: as well. China Girl, China, China Girl. Girl, not Chinatown. That's um, Roman place. I only movie. watched the, the ending of China. China Girl. Girl's good, and it looked really fun. Um, like a Romeo and Juliet Caruso's in type. that too. Yeah, um, that's a so good I'm, film. I probably would have liked that one. I thought that uh, Ferrero was a foreign director. I oh. always thought that is it Miss Forty Five? Yeah, Miss Forty Five. Um, know. I thought that was like a foreign movie. I don't know why. Probably because mm. the main character don't talk. So I'm like, oh, they're probably like French or something. No. She, she looks very French, though. Yeah, she, she does he... very French. Yeah, yeah. so um, mm. she had kind of an untimely end. Yeah, so like if, I, if I'm if i watching Miss 45 and then I'm watching this, I'm like, these aren't the same. same well, what are you I'm
0: a big for air fan. I knew a lot. i yeah, there's quite a, lot a bit of, of his movies. Yeah, yeah now no, that you, you mention yeah. it, I'm
1: like, oh, no. These are really fantastic.
0: He reminded me of the old Jewish man in Monsters Squad. He's like, no, you sure know a lot about Monsters now that you mention it, I suppose I do. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, I also do. The dialogue is great. And if mm-hmm. people are like, well, I mean, in the 90s, we had a lot of that kind of Tarantino-style, people rip-off dialogue. But this shit was made before Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, this guys. is
1: this is before. before Tarantino. I mean, um, it, it,
0: Scorsese stuff has that kind of dialogue. But yeah, I yeah. feel like this is in line with more of a Tarantino would become later in his style. But this is a Tarantino style. I mean, I mean, before it's, Tarantino. It's so Tarantino I mean, what's that tell style? you right there? I mean, so Lawrence Fishburne is fucking amazing in this movie. His lines,
1: he's like, where's my soda? <laughs> and and that, that's something that we were talking about um, going back to Nightmare Alley is that, you know, Del Toro, like, I feel like Del Toro watched all these, like, older American movies in, like, the theaters and, you know, where the hell he grew up at. um, and and so he's he's making, he's taking these like 30s, 40s, of 50s them. movies, and yeah, and he's making them like fully realized. He's modern movies out of these older styles,
0: hundred million dollar movies out of ten store pulp stories. Yeah, which is what I love. Tarantino does kind of the same thing. And Tarantino does ten the same dollar thing. Italian
1: movies and kung fu movies into
0: hundred million dollar right. money makers. But yeah, something. I feel I feel like I you know,
1: Del Toro's pulling from like 30s, 40s, 50s, and the, and. Uh Tarantino is more pulling from like sixties, seventies. To yeah. an extent the eighties. I
0: I do I don't think Tarantino cares for the 50s or the 80s, is what he says though, right. His favorite Right. Definitely but, 60s um, and 70s. Oh yeah. Del Toro um thing about him is though, and, and other countries too, you know, movies don't come over there like us. So, right. You know, Zombie was a, a fairly, I imagine, decent-sized rental here, went through probably the Grand House. But mm-hmm. I think Zombie was a more popular film in other countries. And he mentioned that there's two movies he saw that his friends didn't believe are real. One was zombie and one was alien. So it, it, I just love when people talk in the same breath mm-hmm. with alien and zombie in the same sentence as if, like, they're equals. They because to equal. me, they are. Right. And I know most people will be you're fucking nuts. Yes, I am. But I believe that Del Toro, in a lot of ways, all zombie and alien is equals. And I think that's maybe some way that he can make such interesting movies now. I know that's weird.
1: Well, horror is like I think one of the most universally approachable genres that there is. It can you can watch any country's horror film and really kind of get the same reaction. Yeah, some of the more esoteric horror, you know, and you know maybe not. Well, you get so some much. of these
0: Soviet horror films or Soviet right. films that directly involve with politics or or a lot of like um like French or Italian films that aren't necessarily horror films that dial into, you know, dive into the politics. But sometimes you you are lost if you get to like the Chinese or Japanese mythology of certain characters like the slit mouth woman or or stuff like that or the snake woman. You you have you need to be educated a little bit about the subject before, after a couple of movies, you're into it. But before the first one you see, you're like, what's this all about?
1: But you know, it's going to have, it's going to scare you. If well, it's yeah. scary. Well, or, or, it, it or the unknown scares you. It's sometimes. going to be a good thing to watch. It's going to be interesting and you're going to enjoy watching it, you know, because you don't really, like have to worry about that language barrier, I think, in horror as much. Um, and again, until you get to like the more esoteric ones, then you're like, you know, if I'm like a poor you know, whatever kid and I, I'm trying to watch Hereditary and I don't know and it's like, okay, th- this no. is kind of lost. remember movie. we
0: saw Hereditary in theaters and uh some, about like, some, some woman walked in about our age, maybe a little younger and she brought maybe her kid or a little brother yeah. or something. The kid was about 10 and this kid was quiet for the first about 40 minutes, which I give the kid a lot of credit and then he was like, how long is this? Can we go? <laughs> like, I mean, Hereditary is not an easy watch for an adult, let alone a 10-year-old kid. I was just like, I, and they sat right next to us. I felt bad for this kid. Right. I was just like, he did way better than most people would have done. To be oh, honest, oh, I like, remember before I went usually to... it's not the kids that fucking talk during the movie. Right. It's usually like, like lately it's been old oh, people.
1: Yeah, we were in uh, Nightmare Alley, it but they little... barely they talked a lot. Yeah, they, they, they not they, not they enough to distract not. anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was like one question, which is right. acceptable. Yeah, like like which one is uh, Tom Hardy? Um, Tom Hardy ain't in this movie. I, I literally went that entire movie thinking Bradley Cooper was You know,
0: I think that was supposed to be um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio at one point. It, it's a, it's and I'm glad right, it was it. Bradley Cooper because Bradley Cooper has somewhat of a... I know we're talking about a little bit of Nightmare Alley here, but he has a little bit of approachable, kind of like... He seems a little shady, but he's a little bit more approachable. If Leo was playing that role, I would have known Leo... I would have pegged Leo... Caprio is one of the... He's one of the greatest ever, but I would have pegged him as a bad guy right off the bat. Right, yeah. In, in that kind of role. Bradley Cooper, like, watching stuff like A Star is Born or even as as Rocket, mm-hmm. uh, Raccoon, you kind of have, like... a serious. No, like, no, no. You're you right, have, you're like, right. an untrustworthy, but you want to like him. You mm-hmm. want him to succeed. And he has that, that charming quality about him. You know what I mean? And him in that role was perfectly cast because he starts off as likable with a dark past mysterious quiet well spoken handsome and as he goes on he gets kind of asshole-like and you still want him to succeed but after a certain point you're like well I care less about you and I'm more worried about the other people that are around you.
1: I mean, you get Kate Blanchett, and it's like, oh, this is the only thing I want to watch. Get Bradley Cooper. Yeah, watch Arnie. who you insult. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: anyways, uh, two movies, two five out of fives, two mm-hmm, perfect movies. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, what are we watching for next week? Don't disappoint me with something stupid. because oh, We I, just did
1: two five out of fives. Oh, I don't care what you know you you feel about it in your life. I do that. I, I want to do um, Devilman.
0: Why do you say De- it's Devilman? People do that with Gorman too, like Psycho Gorman. It's Psycho yeah. Gorman. It's not Beastman. Psycho Gorman. It's Beast Man. It's not He Man. It's He Man. Spider Man. It's Spider Man. It's man. It's. I know it's one word a lot of times. Some of these are a lot of word. One word. But it. it they are. They pronounce
1: them. Just, <laughs> we're going to watch Devilman. I don't know what you're. <laughs> and issue this is, is the original OVA um, miniseries? series. Uh, well, it's an OVA. This one, I think it's just two episodes, and I think they're about thirty minutes. We're going to watch it's about an hour, so we're going to watch the whole thing. We're going uh, to watch the you whole recently whole just bought thing. that. On yeah. It. Yeah, because I, 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 I was going through, uh, I just fell on like the anime nostalgia hit. Like,
0: we were on Right Stuff a- anime ordering some stuff. And right. Like, I'm like, we need, I was like, do you want anything from the site? I need free shipping. And yeah. you're like, what about those?
1: I'm like, they got this, they got this, they don't got this. I'm like, oh, all right, just get, you know, this trash. Just
0: get Devilman.
1: Just get Devilman. And, <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> we're done. I'm we're anime. done.
0: Okay, let's get into these questions, answers, comments, all those good things. Last week I asked you if you had to watch 100 100 horror movies from any year, which one would it be? So Ken Coakley, I'm usually in the 70s cinema, but if I had to choose horror films from a a specific year, the obvious would be 1995 um that year uh a year i remember well theaters had reanimator for oh 1985 he wrote 95 but he's talking 85 that year i i was very confused by 95 to be honest uh that year year i remember well theaters had reanimator friday the 13th 5 day of the dead return only dead Friday night demons was released that year but didn't hit our shores until 86 i saw all the aforementioned films theatrically yeah 85 is a great year i would put that as the best year and horror probably my favorite to my favorite my two all all-time favorite horror films are there another good year for horror was 1979 Alien, Phantasm, Dawn of the Dead, Prophecy, The Amityville Horror. Between the success of those films and the success re release of Jaws, prompted film critics in those days to call Summer of 79 the Summer of Fear. Halloween was also still in theaters to great success as well. Uzi Suicide 666. You nailed it on King Boxer and Chinese Boxer uh, comparisons. I was going to like these. Uh, I was like, God damn, these are sim- so similar, even for Kung Fu. He also mentions King Boxer, aka Five Fingers of Death. Um, I actually said Fist of Fury at first. I did correct myself later, but I did make the mistake. He says, uh, you have no idea how I am excited for you to go down the Shaw Brothers route. It's been like four years in the making for me, uh, smiley face. All you need now is to get the samo Hung essentials into your system like The Prodigal Son, Warriors 2, Iron Fisted Monk, etc. I do need to watch Encounters of the Spooky Kind. I have that on Blu-ray. Uh, Fan of Eli. Great video. I also have uh, bought Shawscope Volume 1. It's my favorite box set from 2020. Thank you for bringing us content even during Christmas weekend. Weird that Xmas fell on a Saturday this year. Kind of threw me off. I saw The Vigil a week ago and enjoyed it quite a bit. I think if I had seen it earlier, it would have been on my top 10, but I wasn't sure if it was a 2021 film, so I didn't page turner uh, prioritize the watch I did think it lagged a bit towards the end and it could have been better but overall very eerie and atmospheric the Shell scope set is banging if I could choose 100 films to watch for a select year I am cheating but I have to say 74, 77 and 20, uh, 2009 off the top of my head some great titles from those years and rewatch worthy too yeah, seventy four is great. Seventy seven too. Uh, David Leather, so many substandard YouTube movie review channels. You are a breath of fresh air. Thank you for the your content. Thank you. Like I, I I do all the comments, so I'm not always just like taking the ones that are compliments. I'm like just reading a bunch of compliments about myself. Like yeah, if somebody's like Dave, you are a piece of shit asshole, I would read it as well. Um, Glenn Plain, hey Dave, in your 1994 intro, what films are the head stomping and running through the graveyard scenes? Those are two short films by Jim Van Beber from that year. Um, My Sweet Satan and and Roadkill, The Last Days of John Martin, two of my favorites. Zami Adams, the most offensive of all the Shaw Brothers movies I've ever seen, was *Culmenity of Snakes*. I have you have you seen it? I've seen every single movie under the sun and that is one movie that I seriously tell people to avoid. It's sickening on every level. No, I have not. I've heard of it. I know there's a lot of those kind of like snake or or eel movies from like Taiwan, Indonesia, and, uh, China, Hong Kong. There's just like, well, let's fucking have a bunch of snakes and shit and eat them and eels and worms. It's, it gets a lot, I imagine. Especially when you see a lot of animals killed for real. Jen Guklak, uh, 87 or 88. Aaron Mazzola, 86. Darren Burroughs, 81. Mac Brewer, 81 as well. Peter Englund, 81 or 85. Rebecca Reinhardt 81. Not to be a repeato girl, but I have always said if I were a young adult that year, I would have been at the theater every day. John Lennart, 81. Jonathan Knight, 84. Darren Burroughs, any year that brings uh, out My Bloody Valentine, The Burning and Fond House is tops for me. 81, he's saying. Steve Fridell, 1912. You crazy bastard. Patty Rose, 1972. J.S. Scott, 1972. Bella Donna, 1980. Um, Shane Grant, 86. Tim Milliken, 88. Watson, 2018. Brandon Young agrees. Ron Ford, 58. Going to be a lot, a lot of sci-fi there. Tim Walker, 2018. Jimmy Cribbs, 86. Josh Hayes, I'm going with 75, the year of one of my favorite horror films released. Not sure what else came out that year, but the gothic horror style of the 70s is six. He's talking about vampires by Jose Laraz. Jonathan Wilhelm, 85 for sure. Daryl Spears, 81. Jenny Murray, 85. Jeremy R., 1733. Rob Kopinski, 82. Nick Mua. Every year has its jewels and its stinkers, too. But if I had to choose a year, it's 1968, a year that covers the entire spectrum of movie genres. Even though I asked you just for horror, it's okay. Rosemary's Baby for horror, Romeo and Juliet for romance, The Lion in the Witch, in the Winter for history, and The Party for sheer giggles. How can you say no to 68, sir? Questions. One Which year would you like to erase from your mind when it comes to movies? Ah. I wouldn't want to erase any year, but if you told me I had to erase a year, um, it would probably be something like 2000, like four, No! 2000. I can't pick a year. I mean, every year's got great movies. You just can't do that. So I I can't do that. I can't. I'd pick a real early year. Like 19 fucking 10. So I'd only lose like one. (laughs) Um, Two. Is there any genre of movies that Americans can make like no one else? Um... Ooh, any genre. Sometimes I don't read, um, SOV. I'm telling you, um, I just watched an Australian SOV movie and that was not as good as the American SOV movies I'm used to. All right. Um, any genre that's not, that's a filming technique or film camera used, not a genre, but, um, I think their crime movies are pretty unique. Um. I think that we had that great late 60s, early 70s nihilism that's kind of unmatched. If that's kind of a time frame that nobody really could do as well, like, you know, Texas Chainsaw, Last House, Night of the Living Dead. Probably because our country is very violent. And, yeah, that's just the way it is. So that's not really a genre, though. I mean, like, you're thinking genre. It's tough. It's tough to pick a vast genre because every country has those genres, really. Um, I mean, like, if you're thinking Japan, like, nobody could do the Yakuza movie. I mean, and I would say Western, but we have spaghetti Westerns, and we have samurai movies, so it's just fucking not Western. Oh, man. And horror movies are great all around the world. It's hard to pick. If I, I would pick the nihilism time frame, I guess, even though it's not a genre. Um, exploitation. I mean, America has some great exploitation movies. We'll go with that. Um, three, are there these types of movies that America just can't get right? Are there types of movies that American can't uh, just get right? I'm sure there are. Let me think of some. Um, eh, trying to think I mean, what American movies do I think are not very good? Uh, modern day ghost stories. there's some great ones, but for the most part, uh, the ghost stories from America not been my jam but doesn't mean that there's some amazing ones and ones before a certain time are fucking great so i don't know um lastly all my best for 2022 i can't tell you enough how much i've enjoyed the show long may it continue thanks nick mua you also have a great 2022 daniel carson uh 1979 maybe 81 or 82 joshua hartman 85 morgan suzek the year i was born 1988 lee davis 1970-something. Shane Glass, 1974. Gary Miller, 1979. So I want to basically thank Art uh, Figaro. I I always mispronounce your name. I'm not 100% sure how to say it. Um, And it's really insulting because I'm thanking you for being a patron. So it's Art uh, Figaro. Maybe that's... More closer to it, but thank you very much for being a patron. And uh, if you have any comments, concerns, or anything, hit me right up direct. And uh, basically, this uh, this week I'm going to ask you, what's your favorite SOV film? I know, I know, I probably already asked that before, but I'm covering a lot of SOV this week, and I want to know what your favorite SOV film is. Uh, yeah, that's right. So let's hop into that update. Hey guys, what's up? Let's get into this update real quick. First up is these Jolly Essentials. Now I'm not going to cover these box sets, but um, I because I covered all these films, but I'm going to talk about them a little bit. I love that little like slip cover in there with the cutout there. It, this has three films in there. That's a very cool right there cover. It has uh, The Possessed, The Fifth Chord, and The Pajama Girl Case. The, all three of these are really solid gialli type titles. Um, the first up is The Possessed, which is a black and white one. Almost kind of film noir where a guy shows up to this town uh, trying to find a girl that he had like an affair with last year. And she's she's died and he looks into it. This is a really well-shot, uh, well-made Giali, and uh, Yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's kind of underrated, not very talked about. So, check out my review of that one if you're interested or pick this box set up. If you don't have any of these, uh, I it's a highly recommended set. Um, then next up is the fifth chord starring Franco Nero, uh, directed by Luigi Bastoni, who actually directed The Possessed as well. So, yeah, this one really the star of it. Although Franco Nero has those beautiful blue eyes, is the cinematography. This is considered one of the best shot jolly out there, so yeah, that's always cool. And then the last up is the Pajama Girl case, which actually stars Ray Milan. And this one is a really interesting uh, f- a giallo. I think this is based on a, a true story, if I'm not mistaken. Anyways, I really enjoyed this one. And halfway through, uh, a character dispatched, which kind of shocked me. So, yeah, uh, open this up and you can see uh, the reversible cover art. Um, and on all these, like, yeah, this is a nice set. And all three of these are definitely worth checking out. My favorite of the three is the Pajama Girl case. But to be brutally honest, I would say probably the best uh, all-around film is The Possessed. I think that that one probably has the most in it that people, I think, would enjoy as far as like cinematography and story. But yeah, that's a nice, all three of these in the same spots, same place together. So if you're into these movies, I recommend definitely picking this set up, especially if you have not picked them up, because you can get them at a good price point together um and who the hell doesn't like box sets this is also a nice tough nice tough uh set right here you know what i mean a hard box on the end with the slip um as far as the second jelly's essentials is concerned we have uh another we have again the slip on here it's yellow this time instead of red red and yellow i mean yellow it's got to be for jelly right and the three titles in here are three really, really fun ones, actually. Well, maybe the last one isn't. It? Strip Nude for Your Killer uh, by Andrea Bianchi, uh, who also directed Burial Ground, so you know what you're getting yourself into. This is an ultra sleazy, over the top uh, jolly with a lot of crazy murders involving a bunch of models. You know, right, right, uh, right. Great set piece for one of these. The next one up is one of Sergio Martino's uh, most popular films, if not his most popular Gialli-style movie. And this is Torso, also part kind of like proto slasher, of course. But yeah, this one is probably one of the most famous, and it's got the very iconic shot of the killer with the uh, the um, what is it, the like, uh, the winter mask over his face. So if you guys have not seen this one, I, I really recommend checking it out. Um, Martino did like six uh, Gialli in the 70s, and all of them are, are good to great. And uh, that's probably one of his most popular. My personal favorite would probably be The Strange Vice and Mrs. Worth. Um, the next, uh, the last of the the Gialli essentials here is What Have They Done to Our Your Daughters, which is a sequel to What Have They Done to Solange by the same director, Massimo Dallamano. And this is a pretty cool one. You got the kind of iconic motorcycle helmet killer there which is kind of a staple from you know the 70s and 80s think night school and even later down the line they would do Welcome to Spring Break by Umberto Lenzi which is way late for Gialli's. <laughs> I'm not sure that's more of a slasher but yeah this one is uh, is pretty good too not as brutal as something like What Have You Done the Solange more police procedural but still a good film so if all these sound like they're up your alley again like I said uh, put them all in the same spot they all have the same uh special features as the single editions had. So these Jelly Essentials are pretty cool. Uh, like I said, you save a lot of money picking them up together. I think the price point is like $50, $60. Uh, so yeah, anyways, uh, I, I do like my box sets, and those are pretty cool. Continuing the update, we have Zyrum. That's right. This, uh, like battle suit monster movie. I know it's very popular. I didn't get a chance to watch it for 91. This is a Shriek show putting the Tokyo shock, putting this out media blasters. Very excited that they're back because they have a good back catalog of really weird and bizarre movies. Let's, uh, see ID get a blu-ray release. That would be cool. But anyways, uh, this one I've always wanted to watch. The sequel is from 94. I'm going to watch both of these back to back and enjoy them. My friend Dustin and Seb, uh, they have a podcast. Uh, geez, I can't think of the name. I'll mispronounce it, but it's, uh, 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 a kaiju podcast search for it on um on jeez on um spotify and all those places a very fun podcast and they talk about Zyrum, and it sounds like it's totally up my alley finally stateside blu-ray throw away your bootlegs uh you don't need your imports anymore um and then next up we have lady in the cage by scream factory not seen this one uh yeah just picked it up sounded pretty interesting and it was a good price at the time and last is The Angel of Death or just Angel of Death by Jess Franco uncut remastered from the Urasini collection Uh, Full Moon putting a lot of these out I'll buy any uh, and also directed by Andrea Bianchi or Bianchi who I just talked about for Strip Nude for Your Killer from the Giallo Essentials so yeah the blood of millions is on his hands yeah I've not seen this one Uh, I am a Jess Franco fan (laughs) for better or worse it's like getting married Uh, yeah so anyways we're gonna hop back to the video okay guys thank you very much for watching and as always have a good one